back into the corner. Vanek tried to get it to the point. Kept in by Buffalo. And a quick shot. Blocked in front of the net. The rebound. That just went wide. Pumminville had a great opportunity. Fired across in front of the net again. And a shot. They score! Thomas Vanek is there to gun it home. Ripped across ice. And a spider right through the middle. That was a very special bonus highlight. <laughs> Not only did we get Thomas Vanek's goal, but we also got Vili Leno's first goal as a Buffalo Sabre in there as well. That's right. Welcome to the Sportscasters. It is episode 46. It is October 11th, 2011. We have a great show lined up for you today. We have Greg Easterbrook from ESPN.com and the Tuesday Morning Quarterback column. Uh, someone that Don certainly admires as a writer. Yeah. And we'll see in a in about a half an hour if he still admires them. Uh, also, we're going to have Nick Bakay, or <laughs> Nick Bakay, excuse me, uh, actor, writer, comedian, sports junkie, Buffalonian extraordinaire. Yeah, Nick yeah. Bakay is going to join us today, and we're excited about that. You know, interestingly, Greg Easterbrook is also from Buffalo, New York. I did not know that. Yeah, his mother was a teacher in the Buffalo Public Schools. It's Greg Easterbrook. From Buffalo, Nick Bakai from Buffalo, and also Matt Crossman, not from Buffalo, but visiting Buffalo this weekend to do some <laughs> work on uh, the Bills, do a couple right. stories on the Bills. So that's the lineup for today, Bakai, Easterbrook, and Crossman. We're also going to do some of the normal stuff. We're going to do three things in a second here. We're going to do a book club update. We're going to do five on fantasy a bit later, and of course, pick four and Don. We're doing well. We're tearing up this football season. Yeah, we got got our bold prediction and everything. Yeah, we did well with pick four this week. So that's going to be a happy story a bit later. But before we can get to any of that, we always started off with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> All right, maybe the most relevant football story this week was the passing of one Al Davis. Uh, Him, along with Ralph Wilson, pretty instrumental in bringing the AFL and NFL together. Both later on, I mean, to not be totally revisionist about this, I mean, he did a lot of good things, but both later on are kind of considered... A little bit of a joke, actually. So um, I guess what I wonder is how is he going to be remembered? Is he going to be remembered now as the guy, uh, the just win baby? Uh, or is he going to be remembered as the guy that screwed up a bunch of drafts? And You know what? I think to the end, he, I think he's going to be remembered as just a guy that until the end did it his way. Yeah. I think he's a guy who had a very specific philosophy about how things were to be done. Sometimes those things work better than others. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's owned the team while they've won Super Bowls, while they've been to Super Bowls, and while they've had long stretches of losing. Right. So I think he's been all over the map. I don't think you could call him uh, the winningest owner in history. You couldn't call him the losingest owner in history. You could maybe call him a guy who hung on a little too long. One thing I do admire about him is I know that he had things set up 
uh, so that his family could could keep the team. Right, and that's the nightmare in Buffalo is what happens when when Ralph passes away. Right. So if we if we're gonna say five years from now when Ralph and Al are both gone, if we're gonna look back on this and say you know maybe who has a stronger legacy moving forward, ironically. Uh, Ralph loaned Al the money to purchase the Raiders. Right, right. That story's come out this week. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of reasons to kind of compare them, and I think maybe the 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 longstanding legacy of Al might be that he was able to keep the team and his family after his death, and maybe keep the team in the Bay Area in the long term. Right. Yeah. You know, and that is maybe a concern. Whether folly or true, that's a concern here in Buffalo about what's going to happen when Ralph passes away. And it was it was a weird week because we had the kind of shocking but not shocking death of Steve Jobs because right. everyone knew he was sick. It, it, like he had resigned and taken a spot on the board. We maybe didn't realize that he was this close. He passes away. And then Al Davis, it was kind of another shocking but, but not, not shocking. shocking right. He was like, 82, I think. He's a, he was born in 1929. He looked older than that. Yeah. You know, he looked older than 82. Sometimes you'll see an 82-year-old man, and they look they look relatively young. But right, right. he was an old 82. You could see it in him. And I think there's been plenty of Weekend at Bernie's jokes made about <laughs> Al in the last you know few years, and especially since HD came along. But uh, he's nothing short of a pioneer in the league. Yeah, so uh, rest in peace. Absolutely. All right, my first first thing here today is the NBA has officially canceled the first two weeks of its season due to the lockout. Uh, they had roughly 13 hours of negotiations over two days. And uh, basically, David Stern said they have a gulf in between them on virtually all issues. Uh, the preseason uh, training camps canceled, two weeks of the regular season canceled, and you know what? I'm not sure where this ends. I'm not either, and I think a big part of the problem for the NBA is uh, football is starting, is maybe more interesting than ever with the crazy offensive numbers. There's a comeback or two every week, it seems like, just because nobody can stop anybody. And NBA might find itself... You know what I mean? It's the type of thing where if you take the sport away, you'll see like, oh, maybe people will. I, I just don't know that anyone's going to care other than the most hardcore of basketball fans because we're right in the middle of football, which is the biggest sport in the world. And, you know, ESPN is a big supporter of the league, a big partner. You know, they're just going to play more college basketball. You know, they're right. going to play more college football. Right. There's not, it's like there's nothing to fill the void. Right. They're going to find a way. You know, college basketball especially is one of those sports that starts in November, but for many people doesn't start till March. Well, maybe this year is a year that, you know, college basketball fills right. that void for basketball fans. You know, maybe more people start watching hockey a little bit. Obviously there's always going to be the focus on football. Baseball is going to go into November. Um, and you know, when you're fighting over things like luxury tax and contract lengths and annual raises, those kind of financial things are, are very difficult. And it seems right now, like the owner's, have the leverage because unlike the NFL, they're in the they're, they have a system in place right now that is not working. Teams are losing money, and they have opened their books. Argued. Right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly how into the books that they have gotten. I right, know it's been a 
I, I just don't think anyone's questioning it, questioning whether or not they are losing money. I think that's a fact. I you, you can see the owners. contracts they hand out. I mean, it was like hockey a few years ago. Uh, it's, a, it's a relatively niche sport as it is. Uh, hockey hands out all these crazy contracts, and they locked out. And it's not surprising to people that teams were losing money because it's hockey and basketball are very similar in their fan base. The difference is with basketball is you're only paying, what is it, a 10-man roster, 11, 12? 12. 12. Uh, Billy Hunter, who's the, uh, the executive director for the players, said, I think everybody's waiting for the players to cave. They figure that once a player misses a check or two, it's all over. I'm saying that would be a horrible mistake if they think that's going to happen because it's not going to happen. The players are all going to hang in. Plenty of players have found jobs overseas or are in the process of finding jobs. I did hear that Kobe Bryant signed with Italy or somebody. Well, besides that, because of the two weeks that were canceled and because he's not going to get that check, he lost $1 million. Wow. Yeah. um, I could be in for a long fight. And, you know, uh, but it's not the guys like for Kobe to lose a million dollars. Sure. A million dollars is a million dollars. and That's a lot of money to anybody. But for him to lose that money, I don't think it's going to be a type of guy like him. That's going to be the one coming back or crying or that needs right. the money, needs the money. Like it's, he's not going to pressure them. To it's make a bench player or the five money. guys on the bench and the, uh, maybe the Chris Humphreys of the world. Right. And, uh, I mean, LeBron James, I don't know if you heard about it today, but he tweeted John Clayton asking when was the deadline for teams to sign yeah. a free agent. Yeah, so, I mean, he's, he's, playing, the National he's, Football League. he's playing jokes about it, yeah. or, or he's serious, but uh, he doesn't sound worried. So they're in a tough spot. I mean, they don't have a, the sport itself doesn't have a lot of leverage, and the, the play, it's losing money. So Earlier in the summer when the NFL eventually – made their deal, we were lucky enough to have uh, the lawyer from Tulane, Gabe Feldman, on the show. And maybe it would make sense to reach out to him and get him on in the next couple of weeks here. And maybe he can clear up what some of the specifics are. Because he did mention when he was on, it was episode number 33, July 27th. He did mention that uh, he was going to be working on the NBA lockout and some of the specifics. So maybe we can reach out to Gabe and try to get a little bit more information and really see where everyone's coming through on this issue. Yeah, because this just feels different, too. The NFL, it was kind of like you went into it thinking there's no way they stopped the season. And then as it got closer, it's like, oh, I still don't think it's going to happen. But now, I mean, there's a little bit of chance they stop the season. And then it was resolved. With this, it was kind of like there's no way there's going to be a season. And now it's just starting to play out that way. So, I mean, there was pessimism before the process even began. My second thing this week is many people who are taking out billboards all over Denver, Colorado, are going to be excited to see Tim Tebow get the start after the bye week here. I'm not going to predict success or failure for him, and I'm not rooting one way or another, but it's an interesting story. If he fails, uh, there's going to be a lot of people saying, I told you so. There's going to be probably a lot less billboards taken out in Denver, clamoring for him to be the starting quarterback. And if he succeeds... It's it's going to be an interesting – his name's already the top name, and all he did was take the clipboard out of his hand. So it's it'll be something exciting to watch. Yeah, Tim Tebow is nothing short of polarizing. Right, absolutely. Everyone has an opinion on Tim Tebow. Everyone is going to be curious. 
you know, what's happened, I think, is we have to remember that the Denver Broncos drafted Tim Tebow when there was a different regime in charge in Denver. And that regime was very high on Tebow. Yeah. Well, now John Elway and John Fox are in charge. And it seems to me like they wouldn't have drafted Tim Tebow if he was the last quarterback (laughs) in the world. No, not at all. But when you have a guy like Kyle Orton out of him, who's playing as poorly as Kyle Orton is this year, there's no reason not to let Tim Tebow go out and see what he can do. The Broncos aren't going to win the Super Bowl this year. They're not going to challenge for a playoff spot this year. They're not a good team this year. What happened to Brady Quinn, I wonder? Because he had like a, a pretty decent preseason, too. There was all this talk. There was that talk he, was he might be the two. starter or even ahead of Orton if he could win it. I mean, there was at least like a little bit of a discussion there with Tebow totally buried because well, he wasn't. I wonder if all things are equal and Quinn and Tebow are about the same guy. Maybe if you're Elway and Fox, you figure Sell let's, a few let's tickets. bring in Tebow because he's going to he's gonna re-energize our fan base, going to keep everyone off our back. And I guess maybe you think with Brady Quinn you know a little bit of what you have there, even though he hasn't been given the longest chance either. But uh, maybe with Tebow you hope some of those intangibles and are we real. And we know he's a great athlete. Right. There's no doubt about that. And I watched the fourth quarter of the game on Sunday, and it was certainly exciting to see him try. And everyone in the stadium was standing up, and you know the last pass fell incomplete. But until it did, until it hit the ground, there was part of me that believed he could pull this off. Yeah, and he's just—he's that kind of guy. He knows how to get something out of what John Elway and John Fox thinks is nothing. Interestingly, we've we talked a little bit about the ESPN's what is it they call it the real tbq tbq yeah i heard aaron shots we've had on another radio station while i was driving over here and uh he said that espn's tbq or has tebow ahead of, ahead of aaron rogers for last week for yeah so tebow was four of ten <laughs> yes so uh tbq is working out it's working great all right my second thing is a a sad story and uh kind of goes along with the NBA thing and and players deciding to play in different countries. A 23-year-old basketball player who played as college basketball at Sacred Heart University in Connecticut, his name is Chauncey Hardy, was out with his teammates celebrating a victory. And he's kind of dancing on the dance floor and he takes his hat off and puts it on another girl. Well, I kind of like to say, hey, baby, you know, right, right, dance with me. And apparently that girl had a boyfriend, which is always the thing I hated the most about clubs. You could never tell what girls were there <laughs> alone and which girls weren't. Well, she happened to be there with her boyfriend, and the guy saw the basketball player do this. Chauncey was very, very aggravated about it. And uh, I guess uh, a group of men kind of surrounded Chauncey. And Chauncey simply said to him that he didn't know how to speak Romanian. And boom, the boyfriend punched him in the, in the jaw, knocked him out. And Hardy hit his head on the ground and ended up passing away from the injuries. Wow. And uh, he actually has a cousin who is in the National Football League, Amari Spivey, who plays safety for the Detroit Lions. And Spivey and Hardy played guard at Connecticut's Connecticut's Xavier High School, and in 2005, they're arguably the best, the state's best backcourt. 
they both obviously were great athletes. And unfortunately, um, Chauncey Spivey is no longer with us. If you'd like to hear more details on the story, our friends over at sportsgrid.com have it. And it's just sad, the, 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 not the victim, but the, the, perp, the, the violent man has turned himself in. And there is a picture of him, and he just looks like a, looks like a punk. <laughs> you know, and that's that's too bad. Yeah. Uh, our, my last story is kind of a broad topic, but the NHL season kicked off this weekend in Europe again. But uh, the first time with our team over there, the Sabers took on the Ducks and the Kings, and I believe who else was over there? The Rangers, I think, were over there too. Yep. Um, so far, so good for the Sabers. They've been as advertised, two and zero. They've looked great. Like the offense has looked really good at times. They still have their moments, like typically in the second period, where they come out a little bit slow for whatever reason, which starts to make me wonder, like if that's on rough a little bit. But uh, that was a great weekend for Sabers. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny. We were laughing about if you hear in the highlight that we played at the beginning of the show. There was a goal horn. Well, that wasn't the goal horn from, <laughs> yeah. from Germany or Finland. That Absurd. was from the HSBC or, or sorry, the first Niagara center uh other notes around the league the penguins crosby is getting testing again yeah he's gonna meet with a doctor and supposedly he's close so he's getting closer but malkin was like a, a late scratch the other night not gonna not play gonna tonight. play again tonight so the penguins are still dealing with their injuries uh i thought the kings looked good they got a nice roster you said uh you're gonna probably pick them in your blog or you did pick yeah them in your i did blog? do i did uh i didn't mention off the top but I did do a three more things blog last week at the sportscasters.blogspot.com, and I made a Stanley Cup prediction, and I picked the Kings versus the Sabers. Very good. So yeah, the NHL season in full swing. Uh, when is Versus going to actually officially be NBC? January second, the okay. NBC Sports Network. That'd be weird, right in the middle of the season, I guess. But. Well, it coincides with the uh, with the uh, Winter Classic. Oh, that's right. And um, you know, it starts the new year. And also, we, we mentioned one of the stories we had on the, the NHL return to Winnipeg. That's right. Yeah, first game in Winnipeg was back, and uh, Nugent Hopkins, first overall pick in the draft, eighteen years old, made the team in Edmonton and scored his first NHL goal. Yeah, we were saying that that team. If you want to watch a team that might not be that good, but it's kind of fun, and you want to say you were there when they start before they started to get good, Edmonton's probably that team. They got a lot of young talent there. All right, my third thing is also hockey related. Uh, the other night, I have the CBC Hockey Night in Canada app for my iPad. And the reason I have it is not because I need it for scores or anything like that. But the reason I have it is because now that I have DirecTV, I no longer get to watch the CBC Hockey Night in Canada games. And I always like to watch them because I like to hear what Don Cherry has to say in between the first and second period. Right. In his Coach's Corner segment. Now, I think it's important to keep in mind that Don Cherry is an entertainer. <laughs> you know, Don Cherry clearly knows that he's an entertainer. Right. And his main goal is to entertain. I think that's important to keep in mind. Right. I was I had the other night I watched his first coach's corner of the season. And I was doing some other things while I was watching it. And I didn't really think a lot of it. Yesterday I was cruising around SI.com trying to get my three things together. I noticed that Stu Hackle, who's been on the show before, had a big story in his red light blog on SI.com about how Don Cherry is an early, Don Cherry is an early season bomb. 
And apparently he's getting a lot of heat for that first segment that he had with his co-host Ron McClain where he kind of went off about Brendan Shanahan and his suspensions and he mentioned that some players are maybe avoiding other players on purpose to make sure that they don't get fined or suspended. Um, you know, he said that they were purposely missing the pup carrier. Um, he also kind of attacked some former NHL enforcers who have been speaking out against fighting after the deaths this summer of the three NHL enforcers. He called them hypocrites, you know, for, for now making a career right, out of it. making a career out of it and now talking against it. You know, Don Cherry is one of these guys who wants everything to be the way it was in 1970. You know, and I think right. if he's guilty of anything, he's, gu- he's, he's guilty of the fact that he's got to understand that the speed of the game doesn't allow it to be played the way it was played years ago. Another example he, he brought out was Scott Stevens, and he showed three of Scott Stevens' hits, one on Eric Lindros, one on uh, Paul Correa, another one I can't recall that were famously borderline and would certainly be suspendable or findable hits today. Right. And those hits, specifically the one against Lindros, it ended his career, really. Yeah. And the NHL doesn't want that in the game anymore. And can you blame them? No, not at all. And I think if you go back to like early, early hockey, like back to its roots, I think the intent of a check was to separate a player from the puck. And now it's clearly maybe not to injure, but it's to hurt somebody or intimidate somebody. And that really wasn't the intention. So going back before even the – and wanting if what it was in the seventies is hockey in the seventies was kind of a joke. Like people knew it. Like people that weren't big hockey fans just thought of it as like what slap shot was. I mean, it was right. like goon hockey, and I don't think anybody wants that back. And I don't know. I I guess some of seeing a guy like Brad Boy suspended in the preseason who'd never been suspended before for a hit is a little bit surprising. Uh, Cherry says the bar has been set too high meaning that the suspensions are too much for what the hits are. That's his main gripe. I don't know if I agree or disagree with him. Yeah. I know a lot of what he says is for a fact. Right, right. Um, if you want to read more about this story, again, you can go to SI.com and, and go to Stu Hackle's column. And he goes really in, de- in detail on it, and it's interesting but the one thing that I think that Hackle missed out on is maybe he's guilty of taking Cherry a little, a little too bit too serious. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think if if uh, if you take Cherry for what he is, and um, you know, but I should mention this: the Montreal Gazette reports that the three fighters that he's called out, Grimson, Nealon, and Thompson, are considering legal action if he doesn't apologize. Really? <laughs> yeah, for defamation of character, I suppose. Oh, okay. Yeah, that. good luck with that. Yeah, but, nah, well. So, <laughs> that's three things for today. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Nick Bakai. I couldn't be more excited about this. Fellow Buffalonian, someone who's been in Hollywood. He's maybe like, maybe the guest he's closest to being like that we've had in the past is, it, is Alex Belf. Okay. You know, someone right. who has a Hollywood background but also has a sports background. Yeah, we probably spent the first 20 minutes 
of ever talking to Alex Bell, talking about the Big Lebowski and the Coen brothers. So yeah, right. That, that so maybe sense. we'll spend the first twenty minutes with Nick the, Nick Bukai talking about Sabrina the Teenage Witch, <laughs> and Till Death, and Paul Bart the Mall Cop. Some of the other projects. I didn't. I didn't know of. he was in Paul Paul Bart the Mall Cop. He's the, he's the co-writer with actor Kevin James. Uh, but let's get to Nick Bukai and. Uh, don't forget, we also have Greg Easterbrook and Matt Crossman on. And don't forget to check out last week's episode, episode number 45, getting some good feedback. We had Andrew Pierloff, Tim Layden, and Greg Wyshynski on the show. And you can find all that on our website, sports-casters.com. But we'll be right back with Nick Bakai. Our next guest is from Buffalo, New York, and is a graduate of Kenyon College in Ohio. He is a writer, actor, voice actor, comedian, and sportscaster. He might be best known for his work as the voice of Salem Saberhagen on Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Sabrina the Animated Series. He has played Carl until death, one of Elaine's many boyfriends on Seinfeld, and appeared on That 70s Show, Ellen, The Simpsons, and Boy Meets World. He also worked as a producer on the CBS hit sitcom Kings of Queens. He also went on to co-write the 2009 movie Paul Bart Mall Cop with actor Kevin James. As a sports writer and commentator, he has contributed columns for NFL.com, ESPN.com, and ESPN the Magazine. He has regularly appeared on SportsCenter and NFL Total Access and has been the guest host of ESPN shows Up Close and Talk 2. He also contributed to Jim Rome is Burning, a warm sportscaster's welcome to one of the most talented Buffalonians of all time, the great Nick Bakai. How are you doing today, Nick? I'm doing great. It's fun being on with you guys. I'm a Buffalo guy. So. Do you got your Buffalo stance? You got your Buffalo stance going on right now? I got my what? Your Buffalo stance. Did you notice your, uh, if Don's ever going to shut it off, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. we can hear <laughs> each other. So I'm like, what's this Buffalo stance nonsense? <laughs> we weren't really sure what it was either, but it, it kind of struck us. <laughs> I remember us. that song. Actually. Is that Nina Cherry? Nina yeah, Cherry. Yeah, wow. <laughs> good. Is that right? And you know what? I actually know a fun fact about that. She's the daughter of Don Cherry, who is a pretty accomplished uh, jazz trumpet player. No kidding. So I guess I still have some street cred. That's okay, I thought you were going to say the hockey guy, because I was going to say, I'm looking at her. <laughs> <laughs> Don Cherry. What's better than Don Cherry? Yeah, not much. We actually, Don Cherry. We actually talked about him <laughs> earlier. Uh, we're really excited to have you on today. We were kind of talking about it earlier, and we once had a guy on the show named Alex Belth. I don't know if you know who he is or not, but he writes a Yankees blog, and he's also done some cool stuff. He worked on uh, The Big Lebowski, and he worked on... Uh, Ken Burns is baseball, and in comparison's sake, you're kind of the guest who's most like that, who has this strong Hollywood background, but is also a sports guy as well. Do you consider yourself more of like why should people who are listening know you because you're a guy who's been in Hollywood or because you're this guy from sports? Like, what where do you find yourself? What's more your niche? Well, it's interesting. I think people know me from. I think, you know, it's mainly from when I worked at ESPN and the stuff I do for NFL Network and .com and stuff, Um, because that's sort of my FaceTime, you know? But it's interesting because my career is really primarily 
Um, I've done a fair amount of acting, but writing has really been my bread and butter, which is an extremely anonymous, you know, uh, pursuit in terms of showbiz. Most people have no idea who the writer of anything is. Um, I think a lot of people think the actors can make up their own dialogue. So <laughs> being a writer is uh, an interesting thing. It's, it's always been the way I've primarily made my living. Um, so I think, you know, and I know a lot of people sort of in air quotes know me as Salem the Cat, but again, it was a voiceover job. So it's not like they look at me and go, hey, you're the cat. <laughs> so um, I think it's probably the sports stuff. You mentioned that we don't know who writers are often, and I, when you said that, I thought that's true. And it's funny because we usually know who directed a movie or who produced a television show, and we know who you know the stars are. Obviously, why do you think the writers are so anonymous? Uh, I think it's. <laughs> I actually think it's part of a diabolical plan. It's um, in Hollywood, nothing can happen until somebody writes it. You know, for the most part, if it's any kind of, you know, scripted comedy or drama, it starts with an idea and a script. Then everyone else can start to do their job. And Hollywood's done a really great job of making the golden goose the most diminished person in terms of power in Hollywood. So uh, it's better in TV. In TV, people who write shows uh, are valued and treated like the dominant person on any kind of a successful show on par with the star of a show but in the movies the writer is kicked on the can like a tin can so it's really uh i think it's a very brilliant plan because you know not, nobody else works until the writer does his job but they've made the golden goose feel very undervalued so somebody cooked that one up and said hey that's actually working let's keep that going <laughs> the one time where we did hear about writers was during the writer strike we didn't really you know, hear of, about maybe specific writers, but you, all the writers were known as these, like, maybe, depending on what side of the coin you were on, but maybe these evil guys who are keeping us from our shows. Uh, you you are obviously, you, being a writer, and I'm, I'm sure a part of the Writers Guild, and now that that's been a, a few years apart, was that a success or not a success for the writers? I don't think it was a success. I, you know, wasn't a big fan of it, but as a union member... Uh, you go with what the vote is. Um, I know what the principle of the strike was, uh, but, you know, it cost so much money for working people. It shut down the business. The other thing is, it, something interesting happened. Gave the um, studios a chance to really sort of change the rules once we got back to work, and none of them were very advantageous, although, you know, even fighting to get um, our piece of the back end, and they, they were looking to take away in all the new mediums. You know, the unions are based on, like, well, this is a TV show, and you'll get paid this much for a TV show. But we're really approaching the day where no one watches TV sets anymore, and then there were no rules for that, and you needed that. So I was all behind that. And you do have to draw the line in the sand. You know, they've made, they made sort of sweetheart deals with Fox, and when they became a network, when cable TV was in its infancy, um, so that they could, you know, be startup operations, and that was smart because it meant more work for more people if there are more networks and more stations. and That was all good, but, you know, the problem is once you've set those terms to make them, once those companies became super profitable, it was very hard to go back and revisit those deals and say, well, you know, you look at Nickelodeon or you look at ESPN, 
they make more profit than the three, four major networks combined. But they want to have a pay scale break. So, you know, you got to set the terms. And I got that. I got striking for that. But um, there was a lot of collateral damage. So I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know if we're better off. It doesn't feel like it. You know, there's a few shows that have kind of, in the last few years, when you hear people talk about pop culture and, and what has ruled it, that have kind of separated themselves. And I'm thinking of The Sopranos. I'm thinking of. The Wire, I'm thinking of Breaking Bad and Mad Men. It seems like those four shows have been put on a pedestal as maybe the shows on television that are the best written, have had the best drama, that are... It just seems like everyone puts those shows on, on a pedestal. Do you, do you agree that those are kind of the big four shows in the last 15 years or so of television? And do you think that maybe one of them doesn't belong and maybe something else should be in its place? That's a good question. I mean, I certainly agree with The Sopranos and with Mad Men, although Mad Men isn't quite on that level, and I think they've lost their fastball a little, although I still love it. The Sopranos kept their fastball, and it kind of got better and better. I've just, those were, those shows just, uh, I just, they, they pull me into their world like no other shows, and I, I, I just love watching them. I met a guy who had never seen The Sopranos, and somebody gave him, the entire series box set on DVD, and I was so envious of him because the one <laughs> thing that sucked about The Sopranos is like after that the hour race. was over, you just didn't want to leave that world. And this guy could just say, "Well, I'll watch three more then." And right. I just I love those shows. Breaking Bad's a show I want to like. I think Brian Cranston's amazing. I've been a fan of his um, before anybody knew who the hell he was. He would be an actor coming in and auditioning for shows I I worked on, and he was so great. I said, "This guy's." A real pro, um, and I want to like Breaking Bad, but it's it's a tough world for me to spend a lot of time in. I I, I want to like it, and every time I try it, it, it kind of doesn't quite get it done for me. Uh, but that's me. Again, it deserves a lot of its praise. Um, what was the other one you mentioned? The Wire. Oh, The Wire. Yeah, and now The Wire is one I did do the DVD thing. Okay. With because I missed it on the first hop. And, yeah, I did the same. Um, I liked it a lot. It was a fascinating experience. So, yeah, I think that's... I mean, they're all worthy of acclaim, and they're all so uh, unique. They all took a complete... You know, just, there's no TV show that's a precedent for any of them, and I think that's you know the definition of groundbreaking. So they're, they, they all, they're all great. They all deserve it. I'm, I'm struggling to think of other ones that I think belong in that number. Um, it's interesting. They're all... They're all cable too. Yeah, that yeah, but I think maybe the show that uh, is a network show that people might put on that level is maybe Lost. Yeah, yeah. I I, I tried the first season of Lost and I I didn't take the full ride, but it was great. And again, that was a very unique concept. Um, hmm, interesting. Yeah, I'd have to think about it. I have to think long and hard about other shows that really had had. We're on that par, you know, and that leaves room for a lot of good TV. But these are the these are the true greats, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what is what is some stuff that that uh, you? I'm I'm thinking about you know it's the beginning of the TV season and people everywhere are sitting down and and getting back into their routines, watching their shows, DVRing their shows that they like. I know I really like The Good Wife and I really like Parenthood. And uh, what are some shows as a writer that you sit down that are maybe more contemporary that you really, really enjoy? Um, what, what gets your DVR going? I love, uh, the first one that jumps to mind is Louie, um, Louis C.K.'s show. 
Yeah, it's very on, funny. On, I think it's on FX. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I, I think that's, you know, I know him. I've worked with him a little bit. Uh, I liked his weird HBO sitcom. No one else seemed to have, and I, I, I feel like they kind of made a weird choice with how they shot the thing in the pilot, and then people kind of said, well, I don't want to watch this, and then they made it better. But I love that show. It really made me laugh. But this, this current Louie show is, uh, again, I, I don't think I can think of another show that's like it. So it's in the same, it's doing the same thing. It's kind of breaking new ground, and it's wildly funny and uncomfortable, but um, there's a darkness to it that's really unique. And uh, I recommend it highly. I think it's really special TV that I've, I've never seen anything like it. Um, that last episode of the season in a... I can't remember where they went, but with the with the military was was amazing. Wasn't that great? And it had such a sweet ending, which is the last thing you expect right right from that guy in that show. So yeah, he's always got you off balance, but in the right way. Um, I think it's really great. So yeah, that, that's one that I really love. Um, I, I I have to say, you know, I mean, I, I focus a lot on comedy. That's my line of work and. You know, I, I don't know what's going on with The Office this year. I haven't watched much of it, but I sure did love it during its run mm-hmm. uh, with Steve Carell. I thought it was great. I like 30 Rock a lot, too. Um, traditional sitcom-wise, you know, I used to like Two and a Half Men. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I tried it out. I think it's, I, I don't, it's an interesting, you know, the transition has really been uncomfortable, I think. I thought the first one was great, and now we're, we're locked into it. Um, but I really love old-school, four-camera, live-audience sitcoms. Um, and I've worked on them a lot. I, I love watching them. I love making them. So I am pulling for that form every time I see it with, like, Whitney or you know, the two broke chicks, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I'm a devotee of that. I think they tend to be funnier more consistently than single-camera comedies, for my money, you know. So... Um, the, the, I'm trying to think what else is on my TiVo that I get excited when I see it there, other than Celebrity Rehab, which is the best <laughs> on TV ever. Is, uh, <laughs> is Seinfeld the best sitcom of all time? Uh, you know, a lot of people would make that case. I mean, it's up there, you know. I mean, it's, it's weird. To me, the best sitcom of all time is The Honeymooners. Mm. Um, but uh, there are a lot of great ones, you know. Seinfeld, again, uh, extremely unique. So... We're using our yardstick that we've had sort of as a light motif through this conversation. The shows that really sort of found an innovative, radically different, unprecedented approach, Seinfeld sure counts. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and when I read your, your bio there off the top, you, you were lucky enough to work on Seinfeld. You've also been lucky enough to work on The Simpsons. And I think The Simpsons is a show that's been in the news a lot lately. I know they put some pressure on some of the voice guys to maybe take a pay cut, and ultimately they ended up extending it two more years so they can get to the 25th season. What, what do you think of The Simpsons and kind of where it stands now and where it goes from here? Well, I, I mean, it's really bizarre show running that long. It's, I understand why it is. It's so great. And with animation, you can, uh, you can do anything. So it helps keep things fresh. I know it's still stories about this family at, at its core. And, you know, even with uh, King of Queens, we did nine seasons of that. And there's a point at which you end up in a traditional half-hour comedy, you can't help but kind of repeating yourself if you go that long. Mm-hmm. So you realize there's an episode in season six that is very similar to one in season two. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you kind of run out of road with breaking new ground. 
you know, unless you add new characters and stuff. But, you know, The Simpsons is a phenomenon, and um, I, I think it's... Uh, I, it's, it's, so do you think they did finally work it out with the actors? I didn't even know if they did or not. But Yeah, ultimately, I don't know what the decision was with the actors in terms of salary, but the final word that I heard is that they decided not to cancel it but extend it through the 25th season, which is two more. Yeah, it's really interesting. You never yeah. know in these, especially with negotiations, you never know what is hop and puff, you know, right. talk thing. Like, well, we were thinking about canceling it anyway, and is that just a stance? I don't know. Um, we'll see. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, it's amazing to have a show go 25 years. That's just unbelievable. And, um, you know, it's, it's a brilliantly funny show. I think it's, you know, there's another show that, you know, primetime adult animated show. Um, there again, nobody done that before either, had they? No. You know, primetime animation, no such thing for years and years. And when there was, it was like, you know, the Flintstones and, you know, the, the Jetsons and things right. like that. It was not adult-oriented at all. So that, there again, that's brand-new territory. And it's funny how how um, controversial The Simpsons was when it first came out. You know, and I think recently I, I watched a couple episodes from season two or three on DVD, and I remember just thinking to myself, this was so controversial in 1989 or 88, and it seems so yeah. tame and... And, uh, it, you know, it's interesting where our limits have gone. I want to transition to football in a second. But before I do, I want to kind of ask you, you know, as a, someone who's in Hollywood and, and working, what, what are you working on? What are you what, – what's in the future for, for Nick Bakai as a writer or voice or actor or comedian? What are you trying to get going here? Well, I've been doing – you know, most of my time, as I said, is spent writing. I have a pilot that I wrote for – Fox that's in contention, and I wrote with Kevin uh, and a bunch of other people the movie Zookeeper, and that's coming out on DVD, I think, next week, and uh, I'm writing a new movie right now for Kevin James and Adam Sandler. We actually had a meeting today about that, and I've been working in some notes and stuff, so I've got a couple of things cooking. Is that going to be a Happy Madison film? Yeah, in fact, all of our movies have been Happy Madison co-productions, Paul Blart-Malkop and Zookeeper were as well. Oh, very cool. That's very exciting. All right, so I don't know there's an easy way to do this, so we'll just do it. Let's transition to football a little bit because, as we said earlier, are you more known as a sports guy or a Hollywood guy? And you kind of said sports, so let's let's get to that. And it's been an exciting football season, certainly in Buffalo. And I guess where I just want to start is what's your take on the Bills in the first five weeks of uh, their season? I'm shocked in the best way. I really didn't see this coming at all. Um I love the way they're winning. It's like old AFL football. It's these crazy shootouts. Every game is 60 points plus. And, um, you know, our defense gives up a lot of points, but the turnovers change that up. And, uh, frankly, you know, I should have been a complete believer after we beat New England the way we did. Um, but the last weekend beating Philly and going to 4-1 and one really changed me into having a more solid belief that this team – you know, it has a really good shot of being a playoff team, especially when you look at uh, the collapse of the Dolphins. The Jets are a mess right now. And, uh, I know, we're, you know, we're right there with New England, which is just crazy, but it's great. And it's been a long time coming. So I find myself watching Bills games, and I'm really excited, really excited watching. I feel like the last 10 years I was always kind of just sunk into my couch. You know, <laughs> you know it's, it's funny because... Oh, boy. It's funny because this team almost seems like one picked right out of Hollywood. You know, there's all these 
seventh round picks and undrafted yeah. guys. You know, the running back went to Co College, whatever that is. Yeah. And you, know, you got undrafted guys. George Wilson was undrafted. Fred yeah. Jackson undrafted. It's it's amazing. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a seventh rounder. That's almost undrafted. You know, yeah, it, right. it's just yeah, it's a compelling storyline. Um, you know, and, and and Gailey, who was such a weird choice initially to most. Bills fans to be the head coach. It was like, really? Are we down to this? And you know, it turns out the guy has done what he's done a lot of places along the way. He's an incredibly innovative coach, and he and he and his quarterback are, you know, they're in each other's heads in the best way. And the results are stunning. It's great. Would you pay Fitzpatrick long term? Yes, sir. Would yeah. you? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I think they I just would. don't grow on trees, you know. And and look, you know, everybody's like. Yeah, but what if we got a shot at Andrew Luck? And it's like, well, you know, these guys, first-round quarterbacks are such a roll of the dice. Um, it doesn't mean you can't develop a young guy, and if you have a shot at a great young quarterback, but I, I think Fitzpatrick is playing really good football. I'm really impressed with him, and uh, he's running the system. So I definitely I think he should get paid. Fred Jackson should get paid. Um, you know, they got to keep Stevie Johnson around. We're always under the cap. It's time to loosen up the purse strings, right? Let's yeah. Get some of these guys locked in. It also shows the team, you know, you can come in here as an anonymous player, but if you perform, we're going to take care of you. And I think that sends the right message. What are some other things, maybe uh, setting aside the bills for a second, what are some other things that have kind of piqued your interest or some stories that have really interested you in the first five weeks of the NFL season this year? To me, the whole thing is about the chaos the offseason created, uh, the fact that you know there were no mini camps, and but but it hasn't been linear. You know, so you would expect certain things to happen. Rookie head coaches on bad teams that were bad enough to make a change at head coach are going to really have a hard time and just you know come out of the gate weak. Well, it's not true in terms of look at the Niners with Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't been winning, but look at Carolina. With um, uh, spacing the head Cam coach. Newton. Oh, the the head coach is. Uh... He was the defensive coordinator in San Diego, Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera, yep. And he's got a rookie quarterback, and this and they were terrible last year. And look at them; they're not winning all these games, but they're in them in a way that I never expected. Um, Andy Dalton in Cincinnati as a rookie without mini camps, without time to learn the system, so. That's shocking to me, just as shocking as, you know, the Eagles being the mess that they are. I mean, you can make the case that they added a lot of new bodies and there wasn't time for them to gel as a team, but I didn't expect them to be this bad. Um, nobody did. So it, it, it's, a, it, it's kind of a fascinating season because nothing is real. Um, the Bills beat the Patriots the first time <laughs> in 15 games. Nothing is real. It's fascinating. You uh, used to do these brilliant brilliant pieces on sports center where you would kind of almost you were the character in them but you were kind of a mocking yourself in a way for these bets that you had made and yeah. all these crazy ways that they had kind of gone wrong uh do, do you still try to bet football and what, what kind of, what do you say to people who do try to bet football i mean isn't it just the hardest thing you could ever do yeah it really is you know even if you you know just to see if you know what you're doing. Just to see, like, well, look, look, here's this point spread. Even if you don't put money on it, you just try and see whether you know what you're doing. But there's, uh, there's genius in that spread. And that's what makes it sort of fascinating and challenging. Um, I do think in the long haul, um, 
I don't know, but, you know, the guys who are what they call technical handicappers who use databases and absolutely are uninfluenced by the things that we love about football and that fans look for and trying to figure out which team is hot. I mean, the, the, the Vegas line is all about fan psychology. And, you know, it's the guys who don't pay attention to any of that who I think maybe have, um, you know, the ability to not make a mess of it. But I think over the long haul, it's very hard to, um, you know, if you're breaking even having fun, that's a good thing. But the idea that you're going to clean up, that's why them casinos is so pretty, because people <laughs> go there thinking, you know, I'm the exception. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love those pieces on uh, on SportsCenter. Those are those are great. That was yeah, we had a blast doing them, me and my wife, Robin, and um, everybody loved them, but the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> Do you and think when the deal was up, remember that show Playmakers? Yeah, absolutely. They didn't like uh, that, that either. That was the year the deal was up, and they said, if you want football, you're going to cancel Playmakers, and you know what? They, they didn't want us to do our segment anymore either, so the anvil fell on us. Do you think that that it would be more accepted today? You know the way that the NFL has kind of embraced fantasy football, and do you think well, that it's that's very ironic because that is a form of sports gambling too, as we all know, and they're right. all over that. But um, no, they, 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 you know, it's weird. Um, you know, the, there was a time I think when Roselle was commissioner where they kind of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink awareness of how it fueled the popularity of the game. But no, they're absolutely puritanical about it. Um, and I understand it because, you know, if they feel like it would, you know, compromise the integrity of the sport, that's a great way to bring down a hugely successful business. So uh, I always understood where they were coming from um, on that level. But, uh, no, I, don't, I think people are more uh, stringent about that than ever. Yeah, especially maybe with the uh, basketball referee scandal that the that's NBA all it takes. Look through. at that. Uh, you know, yeah. That's really, you know, that's a mess, man. And who knows what we don't know. But, uh, um, yeah, so, you know, it's a fun thing to do. I I don't think there's anything wrong with it as long as you have have a problem. But I know people have problems being addicted to playing golf. So you can get addicted to anything. Um, You have to try and manage yourself. But the NFL, I know, is absolutely humorless about that. (laughs) The sportscasters are here with uh, the great Buffalo Boy, Nick Bakai, certainly a thrill for a couple of Buffalo guys like us. You can follow him on Twitter now. He is at Nick Bakai for real. And I have a question about Twitter, and you're, you're relatively new to it. You've been on for probably a few weeks now. What do you think? I think it's great. I really love it. It was one of those things I resisted because I, I, I hate email. I hate cell phone messages. I'm a terrible communicator, and I always feel like I'm behind the eight ball and owe everybody a twi- uh, an email, a call, or whatever. And I thought, well, it's going to be just like that with Twitter. I'm going to feel like, oh, I should be tweeting right now. And then I just decided, you know what? Just do it. And when you feel like it, do it. And it's been fun. It's really been fun, and I've gotten um, just a great response. At Nick Bakai, number four real. Right. That's where bad people. Um, it's been fun, and I love reading other people's stuff. It's great. It's a great uh, bulletin board. Yeah, is that what you think it works best for as a way to kind of, like, do you find yourself getting more and more news and stuff from Twitter now that you're a part of the community? Uh, you definitely get those breaking ones from, you know, like NFL Insiders, if that's your thing. But the thing I like the most are um, it's a great outlet for humor, and I, I read people write really funny stuff and you start following people who, you know, um, just, you know, have a way of capturing something in 140 or less and it's, you know, 
I like that part the best. I like the creative outlet of it. Are you excited for the Sabres this year? Oh, yeah. This is huge. Um, I watched the first two games from uh, Europe, and I thought they looked great. Um, I thought it might be a little more seasoning before, but they, they're playing great. I, what's happened with the Sabres is a Buffalo fan's lifelong dream Oh, my true. God, isn't it ever? It, just amazing. I mean, we've always been told, well, the reason that we can't really be competitive is you, because you are poor. And we're <laughs> yeah. doing the best we can, and be grateful you have a team. And, you know, look, I'm a Buffalo sports fan. I've been through this ride forever, and I'm like, fine, just don't take the team, you know? But all of a sudden, this like this guy, the clouds parted, and this billionaire who is a diehard Saber fan buys the team. It's just it's having an out of body experience that we were over the cap going yeah. into the season. That was like pinch me. That's <laughs> what you know. We're signing free agents. The guy redid the dressing room for ten million. It's this is just crazy in the best way. I'm really excited. And I like the team. You look, Lindy Ruff and Darcy Vergeer, I'm fans, and they've been, they've been making lemonade. And, you know, playoff level and elite playoff level lemonade, whenever they had just a little time with the guys that they could hold on to. Um, so I think this formula is going to work out. And I think that these are some, you know, these guys know talent. They're really good evaluators. That's the only reason the Sabres have been fun to watch, because they knew how to draft and develop. So um, I have the same feeling about the free agents they signed. I think they knew exactly what they were doing, and um, I expect great things. Have you had the chance to be in the building, the which we now call the Effin Center? Have you had a chance to be there at all in the in the this young but real uh, Terry Pagula era? No, no. I was at HSBC. Um, I used to go back and do a charity Sabre thing. I think I did like three years, which was just a blast. Um, but no, I, you know, I haven't been back to Buffalo since, you know, uh, the Pagula era. So uh, I can only imagine, though. But you can feel it. You can feel it from the second you walk in the door. And I'm, really? And I'm not exaggerating. I've been a season ticket holder for about four years now. And it, you can... You can feel it from the second you walk in. Just everything is different there. The attitude of the people in the crowd is different. The way the food tastes is different. It's just it's surreal. You know, wow. it's, it's it's just a surreal, surreal thing. It sounds like they, you know, they just took everything on a molecular level and said, "What are we doing well? What needs improvement?" And that's uh, really. And I, I mean, I really, you know, I, I follow from afar, but. You can feel it all the way out here in California. You know, there's just this excitement, and uh, uh, it's exciting times. You know, this is it's interesting. I always thought, you know, well, this is going to be really hard on the Bills if they come out and have another mediocre season because the contrast is going to be so, uh, just so vast. Right. Uh, and, you know, the Bills always under the cap by $30 million, like the Bengals. It's just like at a certain point, you're like, really? Come on. Um but the bills coming out like this, like, well, no, it, this is, I mean, it's been a long time since we had both teams cooking like this. So You're waiting for someone to pinch Fantastic. It's a magic time, I think. Yeah. You had a tweet that really cracked me up. It said, I love Buffalo so much, my wife likes to say, why don't you and Buffalo get a room? <laughs> so <laughs> when I saw that tweet, what I wanted to ask you is, okay, when you come back to Buffalo, what is it that you have to do? Like, what are the things... I'm sure most of it's going to be about eating, but go ahead and answer it any way you want. When you come back here, what is it that you have to do? 
Well, the first thing I have to do is go and have a drink at Mother's because oh. that's my watering hole there. And my, uh, my, I went to high school with Mark Supples and played high school football with him, and Mark is the uh, proprietor there, and it's the best. It's, you know, that's like my little clubhouse, and I love Mark, and I love his wife, Amy, and I'll run into some old friends there, but I just love my time with Mark. He's one of the sharpest, funniest guys I've known. Delicious and, um, food, too. That's a great Mark restaurant, is, yeah. It's a great place. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the other thing for me is just I, I, I like to get a car and drive around because I miss my home, and I find Buffalo. I've always loved it. Um, and I love just, like, going around and driving around the weird old neighborhoods and places and see what's new and what's different because I just kind of breathe the place in. Um, you know, I just it's just very, very, very in, in my heart, Buffalo. And, um you know, I love the people there. And, you know, I'll see friends and, and have fun. And, you know, I, I'll go over to the Swanee house because that's a classic, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, the main thing is, uh, I don't know, it's just the being there. I feel like I'm a different person when I'm back home, and I don't get the chance to be there enough. So, um, you know, it's really, really in my heart. So, um, you know, more than anything, it's just seeing it, you know. I love driving around the west side. That's where I grew up. And, it's a fascinating city. The vibes in Buffalo are intense. Are you a Duff's guy or are you an Anchor Bar guy? <laughs> I'm a neither guy. I'm a Casa de Pizza guy. Casa de Pizza. Okay. All right. Man, there that's... you go. There you go. All you right. heard me. So it's, <laughs> it's Nick Bakai on the Sportscasters. Again, he's on Twitter at Nick Bakai, B-A-K-A-Y, number four, real. Uh, is there anything you'd like to let our listeners know? Anything that we didn't get to that we should know about? No, this has been great and very thorough, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, the best thing is just, you know, it's fun talking to Buffalo people who understand it. That's where that line, my wife, makes me laugh. Because she doesn't have the same connection to where she grew up. And the more I go on, the more I realize that a lot of people don't. But there's something about Buffalo that gets in people. And you have to grow up there to get it. It's like a weird secret society. So the opportunity to do a Buffalo-centric interview talk to Buffalo guys and, and just be able to let that roll. That, that's a great, that's been a really fun thing. I really appreciate it. And uh, anytime we should do it again. All right. Thanks. One more thing before we let you go, since you brought up Louis CK and you said you kind of know him and you guys are, uh, have a personal relationship on some level. How often are you mistaken for him? <laughs> I used to be more and more. You know, Jerry Stiller on King of Queens used to always say, you're just like brothers. So, uh, <laughs> you know. You got so, more yeah. hair though. You got more hair than he does. Yeah, I got more. I got more hair, but I also got more belly now. So <laughs> it's starting to deviate from similarity. <laughs> Nick, we couldn't be more honored. Thank you very much for oh, this. Oh, my really pleasure, guys. It. I really appreciate it. Thank Good you. luck. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Special thank you to the great Nick Bakai for doing that. Really appreciate it. That was awesome, huh? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. All right, real quick book club update for today. I'm going to add a third book into the mix. I've been talking to Jeff Perlman on Twitter the last few days, and he seems gracious enough to send Don and I a copy of his book, Sweetness, The Enigmic Life of Walter Payton. And this is a book that's gotten a lot of discussion the last few weeks, there was a, there was a um, snippet of it in Sports Illustrated a few weeks ago, the week that the Bills were on the cover. 
And there's been a lot of controversy surrounding the book because kind of some things about Walter Payton have come out that maybe some people don't want to believe. And there's been maybe a little bit of a negative uh, negative response to the book. But people who have read the book kind of realize that it's really well done and Jeff Perlman's a great author. And he's going to send the book and he's going to join us. He's already agreed to join us sometime, probably the November 1st episode. So I wanted to throw Sweetness into the mix as kind of a co-book of the month for October with the Best American Sports Writing Series 2011, of course, edited by our friend Jane Levy. I've been flipping through the book more and more. And um, one thing I've noticed about this book as compared to the last books is that there is more articles from the Internet than in the past. Remember when we had Alex Belth on, he mentioned how his friend had an article, his friend that passed away had had an article, and it was only the third blog submission to be accepted. Hmm. Well, that probably doubled this year. Uh, There's plenty plenty of articles that were Internet only. So still uh, plugging away with that. But I wanted to mention Sweetness. Again, that's by Jeff Perlman. You can find it on Amazon.com. It doesn't seem to be available for the Kindle, but it, it might be available for the Nook or in the iBook store. I'm not, sh- I'm not certain. But uh, check that out. Pick up a copy. Read it with us. Jeff's going to be on to talk about it later in the month. All right. We're going to take a break, and we're going to be back with Greg Easterbrook. Our next guest is from Buffalo, New York, and is a graduate of Colorado College. He has been the author of many books, including his most recent work called Sonic Boom, Globalization at Mach Speed. The book is about growth at the end of the recession, with each chapter being about a different city around the world. He is also a political writer for readers and often contributes pieces to the Atlantic Monthly, The New Republic, The New York Times, and Wired. His Tuesday morning quarterback column on ESPN.com is a must-read for football fans everywhere. A warm sportscasters, welcome to the diversely talented Greg Easterbrook. How are you doing today, Mr. Easterbrook? Just fine, Stephen. So, I guess, first, welcome to a fellow Buffalonian. Uh, I was very interested to find out when I did my research that you were a Buffalo, New York native. Have you been following the early success of the Bills this football season? Yes, I have. It's an exciting year. It hasn't the last decade or so hasn't been the greatest time to be a Buffalo Bills fan, but the, the last year has been the last uh, five games have been quite exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like the this team is it's different than the other 4 and 1 or 5 and 0 oh teams they have all these undrafted stars or players that were picked in the 6th and 7th round they have a star running back from co college what do you think it is that Chan Gailey has been able to get out of this group of bills players that former bills coaches have not been able to achieve 
Well, remember, there's a certain amount of luck involved in all sports, and they've had their three straight home games. They've given up a lot of yards and points, but they've had good luck in the final minute. Uh, luck is a bigger factor in sports outcomes than I think we often realize. But the big difference in Chan Gailey and the previous coaches, Gailey seems to want to win games. Uh, Dick Duran, I'm sure it would be a nice guy to have to your house for dinner, but he practically looked bored on the sideline. He, he, seemed, he seemed like we were intruding on his personal schedule by expecting him to attend the games. And Mike Malarkey and Greg Williams weren't much better. They were practically yawning during games. Um, so Gailey actually seems to be paying attention to what's happening on the field, which is, by Buffalo Bills standards, a huge step forward. I don't know about you, but when I heard the initial hire of Chan Gailey, I didn't think that it was a good one. I mean, has this success surprised you? Well, you know, co- my feeling has always been that coaching is overrated in this sense. Uh, a good coach can add maybe 10% to a team's effort. A bad coach can subtract maybe 10%. In the end, it's how good your players are. Uh, so Gailey has a lot of background in football. He's a knowledgeable guy. And you have to ask yourself the question, compared to what? When when the Bills were shopping for a coach two years ago, there were a lot of high-profile people, Bill Cowher and so on, who didn't want the job, not because they don't like Buffalo, but because they, they thought the players weren't particularly good, the national media spotlight is not so bright in Buffalo as it is in other places. Um, Chan Gailey was a skilled coach who was willing to take the job, and he came in at a time that the, the personnel was finally improving after as you know, every Buffalo fan knows many years of blown draft choice after blown draft choice. Mm-hmm. He was a- able to improve the personnel by finding undrafted free agents, which is how Bill Belichick does it in New England, too. Uh, so he, he's a skilled guy who took a job at the time that the team was, I think, going to get better anyway. But uh, he certainly has proven the right man for, for the moment. Another Rust Belt city that is obviously off to a great start is the Detroit Lions. I think the whole country got a chance to watch them last night on Monday Night Football. What is it about this Lions team that you think has been able to give them such early success? I think a lot of people thought they could be a very good team and contend for playoffs this year, but I don't think anyone was predicting 5-0. and no, and, and, and again, they've had good luck, too, in their comeback games. They have used a, diff- a different model from the Bills. That The Lions team that you saw last night, they start on offense, they started six number one draft choices and two number twos, all draft choices of the Detroit Lions, not players that they got from somebody else. So they, have, they, they had troubles with draft choices ten years ago, but in the last three, four years, they have drafted very well. And you saw really premium quality players Calvin Johnson's the best example, but you saw them fielding a lot of premium quality players last night. That That's different. Buffalo has gathered together cast-offs and hoodats and people that nobody's ever heard of and molded them into a winner. Jim Schwartz in, in Detroit has gathered together high draft choices. Um, they're both looking good so far, but you know we've barely played a third of the season. With the Lions, you mentioned Calvin Johnson, and I think it, you might be hard-pressed to find another player in the league who has dominated his position as much as Calvin Johnson is this year. Do you think it's possible, if he keeps at this current pace, that he could win the MVP from a position where we don't usually see it at wide receiver? Or do you think that 
Aaron Rodgers basically just has to show up these next 11 weeks and he's going to have that thing locked up. Oh, I, 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 there's so much football to be played yet I wouldn't even, um, I wouldn't even attempt to guess. Um, but Calvin Johnson certainly uh, he's capable of doing something spectacular by the time the season's over. He's already got nine touchdowns, which isn't too bad. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, One thing that seems to have worried me a little bit about the Lions is the running game. Javid Best showed some flashes last night. He had, I think, 155 yards rushing. When you watch Javid Best play, do you see a guy who can carry a team as the main running back? Or do you see a guy who needs a compliment, maybe... Uh, a situation similar to Reggie Bush's first year when he had Deuce McAllister with him. Well, when I watched him play last night, I saw Javid Best go through a hole that you and I could have walked through. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 that 88-yard run, he was never touched. That wasn't great running. That, he's, a good, he's a good runner, but that was not great running. That was great blocking. It was, the, the blocking was just perfect on that play. Uh, the, the Lions have been trying to get a power back to compliment him. They drafted Mikhail Lecture in the second round this year, and he's out hurt. Um, but recent experience in the NFL, including with the Saints, who you, who you mentioned, is you've got to have at least two starting quality running backs. Um, but um, if, if the blocking's as good as it was last night, it, you know, you and I could, could carry the ball for the Lions. Let's look at the flip side a little bit and talk about the Bears. I mean, nine false start penalties... Jay Cutler doesn't have a second to throw the ball. Jay Cutler's an easy guy to pick on because sometimes his body language isn't great and he kind of comes off as a little bit of a powder and there was that big controversy on Twitter last year. But I think the more and the more that I watch the Bears, I kind of feel sympathetic for Cutler in the fact that he doesn't seem to have a second to do anything with the ball. No, their offensive line leaves a lot to be desired and they did... The Bears spent their first draft choice on Gabe Karimi, who got my vote for the Heisman Trophy last year. I thought he was the best player in college football last fall, but he's hurt. Uh, and you can't play when you're hurt. And they have a makeshift offensive line. They they released Olin Cruz, who was their most reliable offensive lineman, and they're paying the price for that now. He's in New Orleans and playing very well. So, um, you know, all, all quarterbacks suddenly become more talented if the blocking is good and if – if Chicago could feel a better offensive line, we would say nicer things about Jay Cutler. I'm curious to think what you feel about a couple general league things. There was two big rule changes that we started this season with, and one of them was the kickoff rule. And part of me thinks like that hasn't been as big of a deal. There's been plenty of kickoff returns and things like that. The rule that's kind of rubbed me the wrong way is this every score is reviewed by the booth. And it seems like the booth has been really inconsistent with when they've called down and when they haven't. How do you like those two big rule changes? And do you think either of them could be tweaked uh, for maybe a better result? Well, having every score reviewed hasn't bothered me. It seems completely fine. I mean, it has, I don't think it slowed down the game. Uh, I generally like replay review because I think the, the, the goal of this is to get the call correct. And if you look closely at replay reviews, most calls are correct the first time around. 
but if you can avoid even once a week a, a bad call that alters an outcome of a game, I don't mind if people sit around for for a couple of minutes. Now, it seems to me they take too long to make their decisions since since the concept is you only overturn the call on the field if it's obvious that the call is wrong. Well, you only need to look at a, a video once to know whether it's obvious that the call is wrong. If you've looked at the video six times and you can't make up your mind, then it's not obvious. <laughs> but uh, 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 other than the fact that they take too long to do it, uh, I like replay. Would you mind if the coaches still had the power to challenge those plays? Because well, I think do. they're but, well, they don't have the power to challenge the scoring plays anymore. Right, but those are, but those are reviewed anyway. So they, they, they keep the three challenges they previously had. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get back on the field. What are your thoughts on the Packers? Uh, they seem unbeatable, really, at this point. Even when they play poorly, they win by double digits like the other night in Atlanta. Is this a stoppable team? Well, sure, anybody can be defeated. I mean, they're, they're clearly they're the team that you don't want to play right now. They've won, what, 10 in a row, 11 in a row? Uh, and they've looked good every time. Uh, they basically toyed with Atlanta on Sunday night. It was, it was like they were taking pity on them by not running up the score more. Um, but, you know, some of this goes in circles. There was a time two years two years ago when the, when the Saints couldn't be beaten. There was a time four years ago when you couldn't beat the Colts. Right now, you can't beat the Packers, but that could change. You know, Aaron Rodgers goes down with a sprained ankle, and suddenly the Packers look like a regular team. So, what's wrong with the Eagles? What isn't wrong with the Eagles? We could save time by saying what they're doing correctly. It just <laughs> the, the whole thing just seems a total mess there. Um, they, they did some good things athletically against the Bills. Remember, the Buffalo was lucky to win that game. Uh, but they just seem so disorganized. Michael Vick's trying to win games by himself, and he is the single most talented person athletically ever to be an NFL quarterback, but, but football's a team game, and you cannot win games by yourself. And I, I think that the Eagles are, are, are showing that. Their defense is a mess. They've got a, a guy who hasn't coached since high school in 1989 running their defense, and, and, and it sure shows. And they spend an awful lot of money on skinny glamour boys and not much on linemen. So I, I think all those things add up to, you know, what's going on here? Um, I don't know. I, I think the consultant they need to fix that team is LeBron James. <laughs> they should bring him in to give advice. <laughs> there is a lot of uh, two and three type teams. Chicago was in the playoffs last year. They're two and three. Atlanta was two and three in the playoffs. Seattle the same. Uh Looking in the AFC, Kansas City is also two and three and was in the playoffs last year. And the Jets. Do you see any of these teams being able to turn it around and be a playoff team again this year? Yeah, it's it's way too early to tell. I mean, the, the Jets, for example, the, the Jets, the Bears, and the Falcons are all teams that were very big in the playoffs last year and look crummy so far this season. But we've only played five games. Ask me that question again at the beginning of December, and I'll tell you who you should be afraid of. What about some of these early surprise teams like San Francisco at 4-1 and one, uh, or the Redskins at 3-1? and one? Do you think these teams can sustain based on what you've seen 
Are these playoff teams? How good is San Francisco? San Francisco is the hardest one for me to understand because you look at them the last couple of years, they were not a good team. Last year, they, they were not a good team in the NFC West, the weakest division. Uh, now This year, they're playing very well statistically. Their defense looks good. Their margin of victory over opponents is one of the best in the league. And it can't all be Jim Harbaugh. I mean, the guy's a good coach, but he doesn't have a magic wand. So um, I'm not really sure what's going on there. I've watched two of their games, and, and both have said, man, this, guy looks, this team looks efficient. And Alex Smith, who was lost in the wilderness, people thought he was going to be waived, now looks like a Pro Bowl quarterback. That, that probably is Jim Harbaugh's influence because he has a history of doing extremely well with quarterbacks. But but he's getting good line play, good linebacker play out of the uh, out of the 49ers. It's uh, we'll see. They haven't really faced any tough games yet. But uh, if I was a San Francisco fan, you know the whole Bay Area, the Raiders and the Niners both look good. And when was the last time that the Raiders and Niners both looked good at the same time? Right? <laughs> yeah, I can't recall. Yeah. So, go ahead. Okay, so yeah, we've mentioned a lot in this interview how there is a lot of games to be played left, either 11 or 12 if you've had your buy already. As a writer, what are some of the storylines that you're going to look for to play out? What are you still curious to learn about this league? Uh, well, I, I think for this year, concussions will again continue to be a good story, important story. The league's talked a lot about cracking down on concussions. I think help, deliberate helmet-to-helmet hits have, in fact, declined, which is good. But we still haven't seen players thrown out of the game for it, and I, I think we're not really going to completely beat this problem until players start getting ejected from games. So will the league do that this year? I don't know. The, the, the second storyline I'm looking for is it's statorama out there. Scoreboards are spinning with passing yards, numbers. There's a theory going around that this is because of the helmet-to-helmet crackdown defensive backs are not hitting receivers as hard as they used to. I don't think that's the reason. I think the reason is is that we had no offseason. So secondaries are always the last thing to gel in football. The secondaries haven't gelled yet. Uh, I've been saying in my column that by Thanksgiving, somewhere around there, passing numbers will return to the statistical norm. So watch my prediction. If that happens, then I'm right, and it's not the new rules. It's just a lack of an offseason. If we get to Thanksgiving and people are still throwing for 400 yards left and right, then maybe the new rules are uh, encouraging offense, which the league wouldn't necessarily dislike. Uh, it's popular with fans. But I think, I think it's going to turn out that by, but roughly by around Thanksgiving, the numbers and stats will all go back to normal. The sportscasters are here with Greg Easterbrook, the author of the Tuesday Morning Quarterback column on ESPN Page 2. You can follow him on Twitter. He is at TMQESPN. I kind of have a question about writing in general. You're the kind of guy who has a very eclectic mix of work. You've written about politics and you've written about sports. How is it different as a writer when you approach a weekly sports column as to approach, as opposed to when you sit down and try to write a book about called Sonic Boom and where you're talking about the recession? Uh, as a writer, what, how how is it different and is it challenging? Well, of course it's challenging, and I'm, I'm 
I got to go in a minute, so Stephen, this will be the last question. Uh, yeah, it's it's totally different structurally because when I'm writing about football, I'm watching games and I'm responding to what I see. Some of it's doing research, concussions, for example. You, you read health studies, but mainly you're watching games and responding to what you see. When you write a book, you're trying to step back from the events of the day, put current events out of your mind, and think in the long term. You think, you know, what 20 years from now, what's still going to matter about what's happening today. And that's totally different from how you would respond to, to football. All right, Mr. Easterbrook, thank you very much for your time. And uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Great. Thank, thank you. you. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Stephen Jackson, Miles Austin, Leonet Ocho Cinco, TJ Cushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. Humbling week for you, buddy, huh? It was ugly. It was made me sad all day, all Sunday night. We uh, welcome to Five on Fantasy. I want to thank Greg Easterbrook for joining us. Uh, Greg, of course, from the Tuesday Morning Quarterback. Thanks for. Thanks for taking time out to be a part of the show. Uh, today on Five on Fantasy, we're going to do our normally sits and starts. We're going to update the uh, update the listener league, and also we're going to start with just a kind of a conversation about how fantasy football has changed Sundays for us. Yeah, and kind of what goes into a Sunday now that fantasy football is what fantasy football is, and our teams are what our teams are. Don and I are both fans. Well, I'm, of course, I'm a Saints fan. Don, of course, is a Bills fan. Saints' success is maybe we're maybe three years into it. Uh, the Bills' success, maybe we're five weeks into it. <laughs> yeah. But regardless, we've both spent large portions of time as fans cheering on poor teams. Absolutely, yep. We've also spent large portions of as fans having one or two fantasy teams. This mm-hmm. year is probably the first year because of what we do with this show and because of some of the decisions we made to try to market the show and be a part of things that we have probably as many fantasy teams as we had. Have you ever had this many teams before? Not? No, no, not at all. Yeah, I've never had as many as I I have six this year. I've never had that many. Yeah, I have six. I think I used the most I had was last year when I had four. So it seems like things are changing a bit. And I guess my question for you, Don, is how has all of this fantasy football and all of this success by the Bills changed Sunday for you? Well, first of all, if you don't have the Red Zone channel and it's available to you, get it. If you don't want to pony up the money for the Sunday ticket, the Red Zone is a fantasy football player's best friend. It uh, bounces you around every game, so you can flip back and forth between like CBS and Fox and the Red Zone, and it's fantastic. Uh, that said, last year I spent most of my Bills season flipping back and forth between the Bills game and the Red Zone network. This year, though, they've kind of facilitated me bringing my bedroom TV d- downstairs every Sunday and setting it up in the living room so I can watch the Red Zone on mute on there and the Bills on the other channel because the Bills have been watchable this year, so... It's it's a lot of fun, actually. I mean, I'd rather have it this way than the other way. Where does the laptop come into play? 
you know what? I used to be the type of guy that would sit on the lap. I mean, when I first started, I had one football league. Then it turned into maybe three. And at that point, it was one thing to watch your fantasy scores kind of live. But now that I've got six teams, it's just too aggravating. You know what I mean? Like I was watching the game on my phone the other day or some of my fantasy scores on the phone. It's like, oh, I'm down, I'm up, I'm down, whatever. It's like, this is stupid. It's way too early in the day to be worried about how my fantasy team is doing. So, Yeah, I've kind of started a new thing this year where I don't check fantasy scores until after the 4 o'clock games. Yeah, I should do that too. I don't check them at all until I'm going into the night games because there's just too many players that are on my teams that I'm also playing, playing against. against. Yeah, And it's okay. It still works because ultimately you're still just trying to be the best team in that individual league. Right. You could still have the best team in six different leagues. That's right. You know, it's not impossible. It doesn't matter that Calvin Johnson is going to help you in one league and hurt you in another. It doesn't really matter because you're just trying to win that one league and each of them is unique and each of them is individual. You know, we have a league where we have a 16 team. It's a 16 team league that Jay Clemens from the National Football Post got us involved in. Right. And our running back, Joseph Adai, only had three points and left in the first quarter. But because the talent in that league is so thin, it's not unusual for a team to get three points from a running back. Right, right. So there's no reason to be discouraged by that. You know what I mean? That league, the scores are low anyway. So it's okay. You know, and then some of the leagues, the scores are crazy. So I try not to worry about it as much as I used to. I think if I was in one league, I would follow live scoring all day. Yeah, I would too. Absolutely. But since I'm in so many, I just wait till the night and then I see where I'm at. And by 8 o'clock on Sunday, it's simpler. You know, because you're, you're left with only four teams left to play. There's usually only a couple players on each team. And you don't have to worry about, you know... You can get a better idea. Am I going to win? Am I going to lose with the various games by then? Right. You know, another thing I wanted to ask you today is we have a league where it's all play and we've spent one year doing that. And now we're five weeks into the second year doing that. Do you have an opinion yet on all play and what about it you think works and what about it you think doesn't work? I actually like it a lot. Um, Maybe you want to explain it? I've played in a – oh, the all-play league means every week there's nine other – it's a 10-team league, so there's nine other teams. So you play your score versus everybody's every week. And then to make it an even 10, we have a regular head-to-head schedule where you get that game's worth two points. What I think is great about that is I've played in a league before that is total points, and that can get boring quick. Uh, The one year I played in that league, I actually had – I drafted really well – and there was a broken scoring system where it was rewarding points for carries to running backs. Ooh. So I happened to have three running backs that got a lot of touches. Uh, I can't even remember the guy from the Raiders. It just wasn't great, but maybe Lamont Jordan or somebody. But he got a lot of carries. So I quickly got pulled way ahead in that league, and it just wasn't fun the rest of the year. Unless my team like nosedived, I, was, I knew probably with four weeks to go that I was going to win that league. And that can be the problem with, if you're in last place in a league like that, that can be no fun too. In the all-play league, though, you're playing everybody every week, but if you have a great score of the one week, it's just that. It's just a good score for one week. It's kind of like head-to-head. It combi- I, I like it a lot, actually. I think it combines the best parts of 
total points and head to head leagues. And you know, there's big swings too. You know, you can get back into the season in one week. Yeah, you I, know, if you if you post a big ten and oh, if you get the ten and oh week, you can get right back into things, even if you struggled. And it rewards consistency. It rewards diligence. You know, it rewards all the things that we want. It takes a lot of the variance, I think, out of fantasy football. Right. Yeah, I think so too. You know, so I I I really enjoy that. Last thing before we get to starts and sits and the update in the league that I wanted to talk about is the top tight ends that we, some of the top tight ends that we've gotten used to in the last couple of years have had really, really, really tough seasons. And the two guys that I have in mind are Antonio Gates mm-hmm. and Dallas Clark. My question to you today is, if either of those guys were on your team, would you consider dropping them? Let's Ooh. say you had them and Jermaine Gresham. Very possible. I, I guess it would have to depend what was out there. I don't think I would give up on Gates because his problems have been injury-related, not talent-related, whereas... Clark might this might be the Clark you see for the rest of the year if he even if he stays totally healthy or I mean his team just isn't that good uh like you said off the air before he's staying in at most places to block Painter apparently only throws to Pierre Garçon all of a sudden who's a <laughs> fantasy stud right but yeah I guess I would consider dropping Clark depending on what else was out there I don't know that I like Jermaine Gresham more than him. Clark still seems to get 50 yards a game and four catches or five catches, which which isn't terrible. I mean, I guess his numbers are made to look a lot worse this year because of what he usually does and because of just the crazy offensive numbers. Like uh, Jimmy Graham is putting up crazy numbers. Uh, Jimmy Graham is about 40 points ahead of... The second best guy? Yeah. But that's probably Witten who had a bye. But still, I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he's been phenomenal. He, I mean, it was everybody's sleeper pick, and I guess there was a good reason for it. Let's go over some guys, and I want you to tell me if you would rather ha- who you'd rather have them. You, you have three choices, the player I name, Gates, or Clark for okay. the rest of the year, okay? Jermaine Gresham. Probably Gates. Brandon Pettigrew. Jeez, probably Pettigrew. So, I mean, I already found the, the dropping off point there. I, I think Clark is out of the question for most of these. I, I would pick Gates over Clark, which is tough, too, because I guess Gates isn't even playing. But Aaron Hernandez. No, I definitely would rather have Aaron Hernandez. I think Aaron Hernandez will be like a top four or five guy for the rest of the season if he's healthy. They use him like a wide receiver. Greg Olson. I'd probably rather have Greg Olson than either of them. What's his rank right now? Greg Olson has 52 points in the league I'm looking at, which makes him the eighth best tight end. Yeah, I would I would take the eighth best guy over either of them right now. What about Scott Chandler? No, probably not. I I'm a Bills fan. He's very uh, he's like touchdown. the Justin Keller of a few years ago, where it's going to be a touchdown or nothing. Right. I don't. Yeah, he's only got. I can't 12, rem- he's only had twelve catches. I can't remember if he had a catch last game. I don't think he did. And he's only had twelve catches for four, and he only has fifteen targets. So it's not like he's dropping, dropping him. Around. Yeah, he's he's just not part of the the game plan until they get into the red zone. Heath Miller. I don't know. That's tough too. I'd probably rather have Gates. I guess. Heath Miller's just one. 
I guess what Clark has turned into now, I guess, is what Heath Miller has always kind of been, just kind of an unspectacular, maybe 40 yards a game type of guy. Dallas Clark right now has 24 points. He's averaging 4.8 points a That's week. Ugly. Yeah. He has 136 yards. So it's even worse than I thought. That's four, about 14 catches, one TD, and he does have 28 targets. So he's only averaging about 25 yards a game. Yeah, that's he's very. I would say at this point he's very droppable. I guess if there's one positive with Gates, he's in the top 15 in targets. I guess. And he's been out for <laughs> two weeks, so to still be up in the, I mean, he's the man when he plays, and usually he. Even when he plays hurt, he's usually effective. He's not the type of guy that plays hurt and is just lousy. Oh, did I say Gates? I meant Clark. Oh, he is in the top 15 in targets. Okay. Yeah, Clark is the guy. Eh, well, I, I still say I mean, Gates is nowhere here because he hasn't Missed played. so much time. Right, yeah. so he's nowhere. What about Jeremy Shockey? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. It's tight on an interesting position this year because... Those two guys were definitely two of the top three, four guys, and yeah, they're both killing their teams, I'm sure. Jimmy Graham, Rob Gronkowski, drop off. Tony Gonzalez, Finley, Witten, Daniels, Davis, Olsen, drop off. I don't know how bold this is to say, but Gronkowski right now is a number two. Um, I picked Aaron Hernandez up in a couple leagues because he was dropped due to being hurt. I think he has way more points than Gronkowski by the end of the year. I mean, I don't know how to quantify way more, but I think he's significantly better by the end of the year. When he's healthy, they play him like a wide receiver. He's like the number two receiver on that team behind Welker. How'd you do last week with your sets? I don't remember who they were. My starts were good. Probably the worst of the three was Sanchez, who was okay. I had Freddie Jackson, who was great, and my wide receiver was... I think my wide receiver was Stevie Johnson, so I, w- I was pretty right there. Yeah, your wide receiver was Stevie Johnson, he had for a, sure. He had a nice but unspectacular day. Yeah. I don't know why I can't remember my wide receiver, but I know it hit. I know for a fact it hit. Yeah, Stevie Johnson had four for 29, so it's not, that wasn't even really a nice day. Right. So I, I was right on Stevie Johnson. I can't remember my other players off the top of my head. All right, well, let's just look forward, and uh, let's start with – I'll start – with my start at quarterback, I'm going to go with Andrew Dalton. Um, certainly a guy off the board a little bit here. Again, there's buys this week. You could easily be in a position where you drafted Peyton Manning and a quarterback who's on a buy this week. You need someone. Andrew Dalton's a guy who could be available in leagues. He's playing the 18th best pass defense this week. Uh, so someone who's in the bottom half, a team that's in the bottom half. And Dalton also has been averaging 15 fantasy points a week in the last four weeks, and that includes a two-point day against San Francisco. Yeah, that's not – I mean, he hasn't been bad at all. A.J. Green's kind of emerging quickly. Gresham has been good. Gresham's so. been good. I like Andrew Dalton this week, a quarterback, if you need a guy, if you're scrambling. Okay, my sit this week is Matt Schaub. Uh, Again, that was your sit last week as well. Oh, was it? Yep. Okay. Yeah, Matt Schaub this week. I don't like anybody playing Baltimore off a of bye. I know their defense isn't quite what it has been or during like the Super Bowl run, but Schaub's missing Andre Johnson. Like I said, he gets Baltimore rested and game planning against him for two weeks. Uh, I don't like Schaub at all this week. My receiver last week was Dwayne Bowe. He got all receivers in points. Oh, nice. All right, my running back this week is Tim Hightower. Same reason I picked 
Fred Jackson last week. He's playing the Eagles. The Eagles can't stop the run. It's scary sometimes. Is it going to be Hightower? Is it going to be Lou? Is it going to be Terrain? I don't know if I know the answer Please to that question. Join it. Oh, my. Sorry about that. NFL.com. And they do sneaky that videos. constantly. Uh, but Tim Hightower is my guy just simply because he gets to play the Eagles, and he's still a starter there. I checked ourlads.com today. He's the number one in the depth chart. And if you're number one, uh, if you're the number one running back on a team playing the Eagles, you should have a great day. <laughs> okay, looking at Schaub, that wasn't really a good call on my part. He ended up with 400 yards, two TDs, and two picks. So in real life, he kind of blew the game because I think he threw the pick on the in the last play of the game. So, but in fantasy he points, didn't throw a pick in the end zone. Yeah, fantasy points. That's it's a pretty solid day. My running backs. Funny enough, I actually have I picked two, I picked two here. One of them is Javid Best. He had a monster day. Uh, he also had a 90-yard run. Right. One big run. So he's probably got some ex- uh, owners of his kind of excited. But he plays San Francisco, who I talked about last week, as being a tougher team to run on than you expect. San Francisco might just be better than I thought. I know they're 4-1, and one, but I almost thought that was like a 4-1 and one by default. And then they went out and just spanked Tampa Bay. But 48-3. Uh, to, three. 48 to three. One thing uh, San Francisco has been good at, even while they've been down, is defense and stopping the run, so I have best. My running back sit was actually Tim Hightower, was another one of them. I know that the Eagles run on everybody. My worry with that, though, is that you might all of a sudden, because of Ryan Terrain's huge week before their bye, see a committee there. If one of them gets 20 carries, they probably have a big day, Hightower or Terrain. I just wouldn't know which one to start. Yep, and I mentioned that, and we're going to go head-to-head on that one. We'll have to see how it works out. I just... My logic was just, I went to the depth chart. This is the guy they have listed at number one. Right. And you know what? I don't. I wouldn't argue if you started Terrain. I might no, not argue I, if you started Halu either. Yeah, it's definitely a, it's a it's a really tough week uh, because it depends. Shanahan's hard enough to predict as it is. And we'll have to see how this plays out. This is interesting. We've never had this before. And I really, you know, what's interesting. I don't want to argue with you about it too bad because no. I could see you being right. Right, but it'd be like picking a Saints running back to have the best week this week. I mean, I guess you'd have to say it sprawls every week going forward. Right, but, but barely. I mean, he's probably not going to end up with the most touchdowns. Sprawls is an easy call in a PPR, but a more difficult right. in a standard league. But all of a sudden, it looks like the Redskins might have that problem. All right, my start at wide receiver this week is Percy Harvin. Uh, Percy Harvin has had a really strange year, but uh, the coach of the Vikings singled him out the other day and said that he's doing a lot better um, at blocking and, quote-unquote, doing what's best for the team. And when you have that kind of praise from the coach, that just means that you're going to get more involved in the offense. They happen to be going against Chicago this week, who is 26th against the pass. Kind of a strange stat. Percy Harvin's been had double-digit points in even weeks this year and single-digit points in odd weeks. He's kind of <laughs> been good every other week. Huh. This is an odd or an even week, and he's been doing the little things better, which means more active in the game plan, and he plays against the 26th pass defense in the league, so I will take Percy Harvin. Okay, my wide receiver sit this week. I'm going to read you a stat line here. Uh, 171 yards in four TDs in his last two games. I alluded to him earlier. That's Pierre Garçon. I just don't buy it, I guess. He did it all with seven catches. In the one game, 
against Tampa Bay, he had two touchdowns, but it was two long, long catches, an 87-yarder and a... And they were long runs. They, they, were, they, were, they weren't long throws. They were basically... He made a play. He made a play or bad tackling, especially the one with terrible tackling. Right. You know, or scheme. And then just having to catch him on a side of the field where there's nobody there. Right, yeah, in the Kansas City game, one of them, he's wide open. Like, there was almost nobody else on, even on the screen when he caught the ball. Um, I think he's a talented guy. He's fast. He can make some amazing catches. He can also drop the ball like nobody else. But they play Cincinnati this week in Cincinnati. That's a better defense than people think. And I guess lightning strike twice, I guess. I, I'm just betting against it happening a third time. Maybe that's not the most obvious start anyway, but... With that type of run, Cincinnati is number three against the pass in the National Football League this year. Yeah, they're 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 a solid solid pass defense. So I don't think he, Lightning strikes three times. All right, last uh, last thing for today is we have to update the listener league, and I have to say that we're doing a, a bad job with the overall communication between us and the listeners <laughs> because we've been beaten a few times now. Actually, we both lost this week. And I don't really know how to get a hold of the people to get them on the show when we record. So I'm going to ask anyone who's listening in the Listener's League today to email me your phone number at thesportscasters at gmail.com. So when you beat us, we can call you and set up a time where we can have you on the show. We don't want to seem like we're backing out on our... Uh, promise to give you five minutes of airtime when you beat us. It's not what we're hoping to do at all. Don lost this week to the Pittsburgh Feelers, who are 5-0 and and the highest scoring team in the league with 821 points scored. This league is a little bit higher in points. And uh, I lost this week to the Nova Scotia Nailers. And uh, Nova Scotia Nailers and my team are tied for first place in the Steve division. Don, you are nine out of ten in this league, buddy. One and four. What can you do to improve? I don't know. I'm I'm having the same trouble in a lot of leagues. It seems like this year is uh, the number two running back spot. This year, more than any, it seems like if you have a stud running back, because you're able to find so many diamonds in the rough type wide receivers because the, it's such a passing league this year. Same with quarterbacks. If you drafted a quarterback first overall this year you're probably not winning your league right now just because there was so much talent at quarterback. Matt Stafford, who you probably could have had in the 7th or 8th round, is probably, let's see, in this league he's the 5th-ranked quarterback. So if you have a clear-cut stud number one running back, you're ahead of the game. If you've got two of them, you're way ahead of the game, especially if you drafted someone like Forte in the second round. And I haven't – my number two running backs are killing me in just about every league. And in the listener league – well, I'm looking at your team in the Listener League right now, and one thing you have to do is you've got to get Dallas Clark out of your starting lineup. You have Fred yeah. Davis on the bench, and Fred Davis is just the better of the two. Second, you have great wide receivers. You have Larry Fitzgerald. You have Stevie Johnson. Fitzgerald's on a bye, yes. Yeah. You have Greg Jennings. You have Julio Jones, I think, in that league. You have Julio Jones. It might be time to trade one of those wide receivers and upgrade running back. Yeah, it could be for sure. Uh, and like, I, it's funny we had that conversation about Clark because I bet you there is somebody on the waiver wire that 
might be better than him. Or like you said, Fred Davis, who's just been yeah, much Fred better. Yeah, Fred Davis is on your bench, and, and he's, he's a better, been better with a bye. And just looking at uh, available tight ends right now, uh, Benjamin Watson has more points than uh, him. Uh, Heath Miller has more points than him. Jake Ballard from the Giants have more has more points than him. Yeah, part of the problem, I think, is I... Looking at my roster, I probably drafted Hillis in the second or third round, and he just hasn't been second or third round talent. Um, so, again, I attempted to have two good running backs, it looks like, in this league, and it just didn't work out. I was just looking at the, these tight ends. You know who might be the biggest sleeper bust? You know, everyone's always got – there's always these trendy sleepers. Lance Kendricks yeah. was a huge we liked him sleeper. Too, yeah. We liked him. He has 17 points this year. I, I don't know what they're doing with him differently that they weren't in the... <laughs> he has eight catches for 100 yards and no TDs. He had season. he matched that total in probably a half of preseason work. Right. All right, well, that'll do it for 5 on Fantasy today. Pretty spirited discussion there. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Matt Crossman from the Sporting News, and uh, then we're going to end the show with pick four. We will be right back with Matt Crossman. Our next guest is in Charlotte, North Carolina, and is a graduate of Central Michigan University. He currently writes about football, baseball, and NASCAR for Sporting News Magazine, SportingNews.com, and the revamped Sporting News iPad app. The feature he authored with his colleague and boss, Bob Hilly, on the best sports cities in the country is on the cover of the last bi-weekly edition of Sporting News Magazine. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the awesome Matt Crossman. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing doing pretty good, but I have some mixed feelings and a little bit of disappointment, I think, unless you're going to talk me out of it, about the letter that President Jeff Price uh, wrote me, I guess, essentially, and the other sporting news uh, subscribers what explain to me exactly where the magazine stands today and how this merger between uh, the bi-weekly edition and the yearbooks is going to work oh you really want to talk about that with me do you uh, <laughs> just for a second yeah what, what what's going to happen is uh, all the same content that you've, uh, that sporting news readers have known to grow and love, uh, will still be available. It's just going to be available in different formats. Uh, you know, there'll still be, uh, even, even more stuff online than there is now. And, you know, we're, we're still working out exactly what the content is going to be, uh, between the, you know, the, with the new version of, of sporting news magazine, but, uh, I can guarantee you it's still going to be great stuff. Is this just kind of like a way to be ahead of the curve? Like, does Sporting News view this as the way that uh, publications are going to be headed in the future, more online-driven and things like the newly revamped iPad app going to be uh, kind of the way that consumers are going to want to consume sports? Oh, yeah, there's no, there's no question about that, that that's the way the world is moving, and I, I think our uh, our iPad app is a pretty good example of that. That 
you know, five years ago, you couldn't have even envisioned that because there was no such thing as an iPad uh, to, to launch an app onto. Uh, but certainly the, the idea of, you know, spending a bunch of money on ink and a bunch of money on paper and a bunch of money to have stuff delivered when you can do it in the blink of an eye, uh, you know, hard copy stuff, that's, you know, the, the, the whole industry is moving away from hard copy and into digital. All right. Well, I guess I won't be too disappointed then. I am excited to see what the first monthly edition of the magazine. Oh, the, and, the, like. and the first monthly one is going to be uh, phenomenal. It's a, uh, a, a uh, it's a celebration of our 125 years. Uh, looking back at the the great moments of that 125 years, both uh, how we covered it at the time, how we covered it since then. Uh, it should be really interesting. I just uh, right before you called, I was transcribing an interview with Judd Heathcote in which we uh, we broke down Magic Johnson, you know, one of the all-time great uh, both NBA and college basketball players. So uh, I think fans are going to love that first one. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. You know, I've been around since the Sporting News was a newspaper, and I think I told you that last time you were on. And mm-hmm. I've been a very loyal reader and subscribers so i'm excited about the changes i mean i can change i'm flexible and i love the ipad app um i love the uh the customization of it and uh it's just really a fun thing so i do recommend anyone listening uh to check out the new ipad app because i think it's even improvement uh from the last ipad app which i also enjoyed yeah yeah i think that customization is really the important thing if you sort of look at the, the history of, of the sporting news, you know, eight, you know 50 years ago, uh, it was the place that you went to to get, like if you lived in Nebraska and you were a Yankee fan, you, you couldn't get Yankees news anywhere. So that's, that, that's why the sporting news existed. Well, the Internet has come along and changed that completely, that you could go online and get the Yankees news right away. What the app does is uh, combines that immediacy with customization so that wherever you are, you can follow your team as if you were in that town. Right. And, you know, it's funny you say that because when I originally started with the Sporting News, which was even, I think it was like in 1989 or 1990, one of the big reasons why I was thrilled to be a subscriber is because I could finally get news on the out-of-town teams. Yep. Yeah, you know, Sporting News has always been great about covering all the teams where and sometimes Sports Illustrated, which I also love, is really only a few big stories the sporting news has always been more about trying to cover all the teams and all the leagues yeah i, I started here in 2000 and uh, the, the first position that i had here uh before i became a writer was i edited the team notes and every single week uh of in, in, in every single issue we would have team notes on every team in football every team in baseball every team in basketball and every team in hockey you you quite you could that did not exist anywhere else except for us yeah, uh, and, yeah. and, and you know the that hasn't changed, but uh, a person's ability to go find that that on their own has changed a little. And so how we're adapting to that is, is just is sending it to you basically. That's that's a, a big a big part of the app is the fact that you can customize it. You don't have to go look for it. We'll give it right to you. Right, and the app uh, again is fantastic. So another reason I wanted to talk to you today is because your colleague Bob is I going to say this right? Is it Healy? No, it's Hilly. Hilly. Bob Hilly. Okay, so your colleague and, and, Bob and by colleague you mean boss. So boss, carry okay. on. <laughs> so Bob Hilly and yourself worked on the best sports city 
column this year, one that is a regular in the magazine and something I look forward to. Why don't you just first explain a little bit how the rankings of the city goes? I know it's uh it's mathematical, it's a formula, it's not right. it's not subjective. Correct, correct. Right. Uh there are uh the, the minimum requirement to be on the list is uh, that your town would have to have either a Division One basketball team or a Division One football team or uh, a pro team. Uh, and, uh, and by pro, I mean uh, major league. We used to, uh, until this year, would go all the way down to uh, single A baseball team. So we, we cut that out. Of, uh, so basically the, the bare minimum is, is a college football or college basketball team. And from there we take, uh, each town is then ranked based on the record, uh, the number of teams, uh, attendance, and, and, you know, just a, a, those, those, are, those are the key things. So really, the more teams you have, the better your chances of being ranked high are. I mean, unless all your teams were awful. Uh, so if you, if you had a team in every division and they all came in last, you would still be ahead of a team that only had one that won a championship. Right. Now, so, like, like, so like Tuscaloosa has, has just, you know, college football and college basketball. Or not Tuscaloosa, uh, Auburn. Uh, so that they wouldn't. They wouldn't rank very high because they just they don't have enough quantity. They have quality but not quantity. Right. So, do the college teams count less than the pro <clears> teams? <throat> nope. No. Nope. E- each each of the we we cover eight sports. So each team uh, would be weighted uh, while well, sort of the same and, and sort of not because you know when attendance plays a factor. You know, we, we cover soccer, but you know soccer attendance can't keep up. And I frankly I don't know if we do it on percentage of available seats sold, but. But yeah, each, you know, I, I'm pretty sure. I, I guess I don't know that 100, percent but I'm pretty sure that each each sport is weighed the same. So it seems like when you make a list like this, one of the best parts about it would be the debate and kind of why this city over why this city. But the formula yep. kind of takes some of that out of it, doesn't it? Well, it, it doesn't. It doesn't because you could say, like, oh, like, like let's say. We're talking about uh, next year's list. Okay. I, and, and, and right now you've got uh, the Packers, uh, University of Wisconsin, and the Brewers are all doing really well. So if you combine all of that, and let's just say Wisconsin as a sports city, uh, for lack of a better way to put it. And then probably the next one you would look at is Detroit because the Tigers are doing really well, University of Michigan is doing really well, and the Lions are doing really well. So you would say actually that they're sort of on equal footing right now. Well, I could make the case that Detroit deserves it far and away because the Lions are has been been so awful for so long that they should deserve extra credit uh, because the Lions uh, doing well is such a shock. And you can make you could make the same case not as forcefully, but you could make the same case about Michigan that they're five five and or, or six and or whatever they are, and and that's significantly better than you would have, have expected. Where on the other hand, all the Wisconsin teams are just living up to the, to their expectations. So there are ways to still have an argument, and quite frankly, uh, not knowing the facts doesn't mean you can't argue about it. I mean, why else would we have sports radio? Right. Does Toronto get a boost by stealing one of our Bills home games? Does Toronto get a boost by stealing one of your Bills home games? That's a good question. Uh, that that might be a loophole, a loophole in the uh, in the rankings that we would have to consider that they they sort of have like one eighth. Of a football team, right? Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, so you're, because you're, I was. And wait a minute. Did you, did you say you're in Buffalo? Yeah, that, we're that, from Buffalo. I'm uh, going to be in your fair city on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. No kidding. Doing a Bills yeah, story. I'm, 
I, yeah, uh, a couple of different Bill stories. So oh. uh, I, I was, uh, if you don't mind a little jab at your city, I was uh, put, putting <laughs> putting together, you know, the, the trip estimate. Before I go on a on a road trip, I have to say, hey, it'll cost X amount of dollars uh, to go there. Is, is that okay? And I get the travel approved. And you know, it's it's not easy to get to Buffalo because you can't get a direct flight. Right. But it's really cheap. So I said, hey, you know, it's uh, it's really cheap to go to Buffalo. P.S. Please don't send me to Buffalo a lot. So. <laughs> Why? What's wrong with Buffalo? No, just, I, there's nothing wrong with Buffalo. Oh, okay. It's a great city. I'm just kidding. Well, I wanted to talk about a little bit how we're 41 and Toronto is 37. Because, you know, we have maybe a little bit of an inferiority complex when it comes to Toronto. Yep. Because, sure. you know, we kind of feel like they're trying to step on our toes and steal okay. our football team. And, you know, when I, when I look at it, it's like, okay, so they got... The Maple Leafs, we have the Sabres. Well, the Sabres whoop the Maple Leafs constantly and have finished in the playoffs for the last five years, Toronto being in the playoffs none of those years. We have an NFL team. They don't, but they have an NBA team. But the NFL seems like it should be more important than the NBA, and their NBA team is completely irrelevant. And I guess you could argue so is an NFL team, but it's still an NFL team. Right. And uh, I don't know how they're ahead of us because well, they, don't forget about the blue. Don't like sleep sausage. on the blue jays. Uh the blue jays. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's easy to sleep on them. Yeah, but I, I think that would uh, again. I don't, you know, and they I, have a soccer. I, I, I don't, team, I don't right? have the breakdown right in front of me. But if it's three professional teams to two, almost by definition, the three is going to win, regardless of whether the two were better than the than all three. Right. Uh, you know, there, there's obviously that's again that that's a way to argue about it. Uh, and you took so, the Bisons away from us this year because based on last year's rankings, we would add the Bisons in there, but they're out this year. Yeah, you know, and I, I would uh, I would counter that if if you are arguing that <laughs> your sport, your city is great because of a Triple A baseball team, I would say you're actually arguing that the, that sports in your city is not great. Well, and, you know, uh, when I was eight I, I years old, they used to draw a million people into that stadium. It's still Triple A. I I, uh, <laughs> I had a similar conversation with. Uh, how far is Rochester from Buffalo? I don't uh, know. Uh, it's an hour drive. Uh, the, the people in Rochester uh, had me on the radio, and they were very angry at me uh, for uh, – I, I think they didn't make the list at all. Uh, oh, and Syracuse did, so they're probably bitter about that, huh? Yeah, and I explained to them, well, you know, here's the qualifications. You don't meet them. And, you know, their argument was, well, we've got, you know, a great women's soccer team. And I said, really? That I didn't say this, but I was thinking it. Really, that's your argument? Women's soccer? Uh and you know what's that, funny about that's, that? That's your that's your pro argument or your con argument. You know what's funny about that is they do have that team because they play their home games there, but the team is based in Buffalo, practices in Buffalo, is owned by a Buffalonian. All the players live in Buffalo, so they barely have that team. Is, is that a word, Buffalonian? Yeah, yeah, Buffalonian. That's what we are. Excellent. Yeah, you learn yeah, something buff- new every day. Buffalo- I, I I had never thought of what to call a buffalo Indian. I would have said, I probably would have said buffalo white. So are you ready for the best three days of eating you've ever had, or what? You you know it's uh, it's funny that you should say that. I uh, when I go on the road, uh, I'm going to give you a little a window into my mind. I usually spend about an hour. I will either look at like the alternative uh, news weeklies that do such a good job of covering the restaurant scene, or I'll go to the newspaper website or just like Google best, whatever right. I feel like eating that weekend. And from what I hear, I can basically uh, 
stumble into any sports bar in Buffalo and have Buffalo wings that will uh, make me want to move to your city. Yeah, but there is a place that you really should go to, and it's called Duff's. Duff's. D-U-F-F? D-U-F-F-S. And there's three of them around now, but the main one is the best, but there's really not that big of a drop-off if you go. Where you stay? Well, is that... We'll talk about this after the air. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I wanted to talk. Last time you were on, we talked a little bit of NASCAR, and we don't get a chance to do that a lot. And I didn't want to sure. pass up on this opportunity because we are, what, four races into the chase now. And it's maybe one of the most competitive chases that we've had, maybe ever. I'm, I'm not certain, but it seems like there's really three or four drivers that have a real look at this. Are you still in camp Jimmy Johnson and have the feeling that it's his to win or lose? Or do you think that Edwards or one of the other drivers way up in the front there could steal it this year? You know, what's funny is I have been on the Jimmy Johnson bandwagon jumped off. Uh, and I, I think, I think you're right. I probably have to jump back on. Um, two weeks ago, I would have said three weeks ago, I would have said he had no chance. He was 10th in points. He was way, he was, it, it, not that he was too far off, but that there was nine guys he had to get ahead of, and now there's only two. So yeah, I would say, but he's only four four points out of first, which is only four positions. Uh, I, I would say he's the clear favorite. And you know, I, I don't know if this is any more competitive than ever, any other year. I, I think it's been very close at this point uh, every year. And I will say that at some point, uh, Johnson winning all of them, uh, I had always been a. a in favor of that, or at least I wasn't critical of it, uh, like so many fans were, uh, like they say it's boring or whatever. And I, I, I would never say it's boring, but I would say it's getting to the point where it it shoots down NASCAR's argument that this is the most, this is the time in the sports history where there is the most parity. That's just simply not true. He's just that much better than everybody else, and it makes everybody else seem like they stink if the, if one guy keeps winning. Uh, it speaks well to him, and it speaks poorly of everybody else. So you're saying it's not rare for the top eight drivers in the chase to be separated by 20 points? I, I'm not arguing yeah, with you. I'm just curious. It's, it's, it's not because the point system changed this year, okay. and last year that would have been the top eight separated by 100. You, you, but it, I mean, that's not 100% apples to apples, but essentially you can multiply by five, and that's what the points difference per position used to be, and now it's one. So – you know, the 20, that, that's 20 positions, you know, last year that would have been, you know, anywhere between 60 to a hundred points and that. Yeah. So no, it's not, I don't, it, it's not that much closer than ever before. There, so are, there are perhaps more guys having good seasons, but at this point in the chase, no, it's no closer. Do you think Harvick or Edwards has a better chance to win this than Johnson? Or do you think there's maybe even someone like Kenseth or Bush that even has a shot? If you no, I think, I think it goes, uh, Johnson, Edwards, Harvick in that order. Uh, I'm, I'm not sold on Harvick either as a, a championship caliber driver or having a championship caliber car. Uh, I would say, you know, if there's, you know, let's say you break the sport into the elite of the elite, let's say there's three or four of those, and then there's the really, really good, uh, I would put him in that second tier, and I would put Jimmy and Carl in the first one. Gotcha. So what about this year's... Uh season in general has been different 
or the same than the last few. I kind of wonder about the economy. Has the economy and all this talk of recession kind of given the bigger teams a huge advantage to some of the smaller teams? Uh, Yeah, that would not be distinctive of this year. That would be distinctive of maybe the last four. Uh, But I'm not sure I would say it's big. It's just that... uh, it, what it has done, it, the sport was already dominated by four or five multi-car teams. It has made it has made even competing if you're not one of the elite teams, you you can't. Period. It, it used to be maybe you could have a good run every once in a while. You really can't anymore. I mean that you're you're relegated to uh, being back in the 20s basically forever un- unless you're one of the top teams. That's always been mostly true anyway. It's just more true now. Right. So, so if that's what it would be something unique to this season. I'm not sure that there's anything completely distinctive about this season, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, the, the same guys that you usually see are uh, at the top of the standings or at the top of the standings. Uh, there has Nobody has broken out with uh, a ton of wins. You know, the, the most wins anybody has is four. There's two guys with that. that that's fairly normal. Uh, you know, it's been... It's been just another season. I mean, there hasn't been a stand like uh, like Justin Verlander, for example, in baseball has been maybe not the surprise, but the guy who has gone from good to superstar uh, in one season. That happens a lot. Maybe you could say Brad Keselowski has done that. He's got three wins and he's fourth in points, uh, but that's just one guy. I don't know if there's been anything uh, off the charts about this season one way or the other. The Sportscasters are here with Matt Crossman from the Sporting News. You can follow him on Twitter. He is at CrossmanMatt. One last thing that we talked about last time was your really exciting I Remember series. And Mm -hmm. uh, the latest one is with Dale Ford, a former Major League Baseball umpire who was Uh the uh, umpire in the uh, Buckner play. My question, I guess, about this I remember series is because I'm so fond of it is how will this remain a part of what you do under the new sporting news entity? Will it be part of the monthly magazine? Will it be something you provide online? Will it be on the app? How, or is it something you're going to discontinue? That's a good question. I'm not a hundred at the moment. uh, the, The way we plan to construct the new magazine, I don't think there will be a place for it uh, every week uh, or every month. I mean, uh, because they're going to, each issue is going to be solely devoted to one topic. You know, we'll have a, an NFL season preview, an NFL fantasy football preview, a baseball preview, etc. And it doesn't really work in a preview because the preview is looking forward. And the whole point of, I remember is looking back. Uh, so I, I, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. Uh, it just means I'm not sure. And yeah, I would love to keep doing it online because they're, they're a lot of fun to do. Uh, but again, you know, it's, you know, I, I've only frankly known, uh, that this was going to be the case for a week. So, uh, uh you know, I, 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 you know, the, the short answer is I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I hope to continue doing it because they're, they're fun to do. I, I like to think people like them and I appreciate you, uh, enjoying them so much. And as a matter of fact, I did one with, uh, with Vita Blue that was supposed to go in the next magazine that we're not going to publish. So I'm going to, eventually I'm going to get that online probably when uh, the MVP awards come out because when I, I did it with Vita Blue because he was one of the last starting pitchers 
to win both the Cy Young and the uh, right. MVP. And with all that talk about Verlander doing it, I thought it would be interesting to hear you know, how a pitcher had gone through that. Uh, and he said something really interesting. Uh, I, you know, because I had him, I said, well, you know, what about Verlander? Should he win? And he said, well, you know, he didn't say, yes, he should. He's the MVP. He said uh, he certainly should be considered. He's had a great season. And he said he's, you know, he's light years ahead of where I was when I won the MVP, which is like, damn, light years. Holy cow. Now, that doesn't mean he had a light years better season. He meant he's just so much more of a pitcher than I was, which is really saying a lot for Verlander. Yeah, no kidding. What what have your thoughts been about the uh, championship series here? We're 1-1 and 1-0, I think, at this point. Do you yep. have a feel either way as to who you think will end up in the World Series? I don't really. I don't know what's going to happen in that Brewers-Cardinals series. Uh, I think the Cardinals, won, uh, like their distinctive hallmark under Tony La Russa has been that when they get hot, they get red hot. Uh, so they could just run away from the Brewers. But the Brewers, on the other hand, uh, you know, they, they forget what happened 20 minutes ago. Forget about it. So they're not going to be intimidated by the fact they lost one at home. Uh, I would feel more comfortable predicting the Rangers are going to beat the Tigers uh, for the, the first reason being that the Rangers are really good, and the second reason being uh, the Tigers have, have either lost or are, are limited in their outfielders with Maglio Ordonez gone and Brennan Bosch gone and uh, Delman Young being, uh, if not gone, extremely limited. That's three really productive outfielders. It, you just you can't replace that in the LCS. And plus, they're they're just not. They've had so many chances to win games. Uh, both both of these games, the first two, they, they could have won and didn't. And if they don't start hitting, they don't have a chance. Yeah. All right, the Sportscasters uh, with Matt Crossman from the Sporting News. Again, uh, Sporting News is going to be all over now. The website, the iPad app, which I encourage everyone to get. And you can follow Matt at Crossman Matt. And uh, I'm sorry if I put you on the spot a little bit there in the beginning. No, but that's I was all right. just curious. That's all right. And uh, well, thanks for, for joining us again. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Okay, thank you. All right, we're back for one last segment here in episode 46. Got to thank all the guests, Nick Bakai, Greg Easterbrook, and Matt Crossman. Next week, we are going to have another fantastic show for you. Uh, nothing I can announce yet, but working on plenty of different things. Uh, one reminder, the sports manif- or the fanmanifesto.com. Wanted to plug that website. Yeah. Also wanted to mention facebook.com slash the sportscasters. Facebook finally has an iPad app. Woohoo! <laughs> and uh, the iPad app is great, and you can view groups. So check out the sportscasters on the iPad app. It looks cool. Facebook.com slash the sportscasters. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We are sports underscore casters. Don is Don Like Sports. And I am Diversity23. You can also email us, especially email us if you're in the listeners league, please. I need phone numbers. The sportscasters at gmail.com. You can find our blog. I put up a new blog last week. I'm sure I'll do the same again this week. The sportscasters.blogspot.com. And you can find all that stuff on our website sports-casters.com. Now, last piece of business for today is pick four. We've been promising and promising and promising to get better and better at this during football season, and we certainly have been better at this during football season. Thank God. One thing, both of us boldly predicted last week that the Seahawks, who were 10-point favorites 
underdogs. the Giants, or underdogs, yep. excuse me, 10-point underdogs against the Giants would win outright, and they did 36-25, to 25, and they did it with their starting quarterback going out in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was an up-and-down game, but the Seahawks ended up winning 36-25. to 25. I got that right. I also laid 13.5 points uh, in the LSU-Florida game. LSU easily won that one, 41-11. to 11. And I had the Lions minus 6 over the Bears. Sweated that one out to the last second as the Bears were driving there in junk time yesterday. But I won that one as well, 25-13. And the only game I lost is because I picked against Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Um, I picked Texas to co- to cover. Didn't I even, said Oklahoma would win. It wasn't close. They didn't was, even show up. Yeah, it was 55-17, to 17 and it wasn't that close. Yeah, it was ugly. Uh, Don also was 3-1. and one. Like I said, he won the Seahawks game. He won the Raiders plus 6. They won outright. 25-20 yep. to 20 over Houston. He also had the Packers minus 6 over Atlanta. They won that game 25 to 14. Kind of nervous moments in the beginning there. Yeah, I thought that, what were they down? 14 nothing at one yeah, point, right? Yeah. Atlanta yeah. uh, got out, out and running, but couldn't keep up. And he also lost picking Texas. How dare we pick Texas? I know. Man. Uh, Don is 78 and 81 for the season, and I am 78 and 79. And just a reminder again, the reason we have different records is because one time Don got two bonus points in a special pick four edition of the trade deadline NHL NHL free agency agency. July 1st. Okay, let's kick it off this week. The game of the week is Milwaukee at St. Louis. That's Wednesday night night at 8.05 on TBS. I'm going to take the Cardinals. Uh, They've already upset one team in the Phillies who looked like a dream team kind of. Uh, Why not? You know what? I just expect them to keep, keep going through it. It's not a great NFL schedule this week. It's although there, we could have easily went Lions and 49ers here. Yeah, I guess that game. <laughs> you know, I don't think anyone believes in the 49ers. Yeah, but uh, I think you know we'll have to believe if they go into Detroit. Right. And win yeah, that for game. sure. But uh, it's not a great NCAA football schedule this week either. There's no huge games. Uh, so uh, you know, game three in a series can is arguably often the biggest game, especially when. You do a two-three-two, and Major League Baseball does a two-three-two here. The Brewers were a fantastic home team all season and have not been a good road team. And they let the Cardinals get a split in Baltimore or in uh, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and that's trouble. And the Cardinals are on fire. And as Matt Crossman said just a few minutes ago, when they get on fire, they get on fire. And uh, I'm not going to pick against them right now, especially in New Bush Stadium, which will be rocking. St. Louis is one of those cities in the country where baseball is bigger than football. I'm going to take the Cardinals also to take a 2-1 lead, and I'm going to pick the Cardinals to win that series. All right, my host choice this week. I've kind of picked them a lot this week or this year, but I'm going to take the Saints. They're going into Tampa Bay, so, I mean, I guess, again, I'm picking a road team, but Tampa Bay got embarrassed last week against an inferior team to the Saints, I would imagine. And won't have Blunt. And the Saints are laying only five points, so I think they should easily cover that, so I will take the Saints. That's 415 on Fox. I have a feel-good choice for my host choice. I'm going to pick the Sabres over the Hurricanes Friday night, October 14th at 730. It's the Sabres home opener. 
It's the first home opener under Terry Pagula. I think the arena is going to be an amazing place to be on Friday night. I'm very excited to be able to be there on Friday. I think it's going to be an incredible night, and I just don't think there's any way that the visiting Hurricanes can come into that building on that night, the Effin Center, and win. <laughs> so I'm going to pick the Sabres over the Hurricanes for my host choice. All right, my worldwide leader. I failed to write down the time, but I'm pretty sure it's the Sunday night game. We had the Vikings at the Bears. Uh, the Bears, again, Vegas knows what they're doing with a lot of these. Like I'm sure the Saints line looked too small this past week, and they only won by, what, three? But the Bears at home against the lowly Vikings are only a three-point favorite. Maybe they just think because it's a divisional game. Uh, but I'm going to take the Bears. I, I can't imagine them winning by less than three. All right. losing. My worldwide leader pick, I'm going to stick with LSU. It's basically the same line, and they're playing Tennessee. I think Florida's better than Tennessee. LSU is minus 15.5. I'm going to gladly lay that. On Saturday, October 15th at 3.30, it's the CBS SEC game of the week. I'm going to stick with LSU until they make me regret it. Yeah, we talked about this last week, I think, but there's a lot of college teams that look like they could go undefeated this year. Absolutely. Um, Not a year to lose one. No. My bold prediction this week, the Panthers at the Falcons. The Falcons are a four-point favorite in that game. I'm going to flip the spread eight points and take the Panthers minus four. So I think the Panthers are going to win that game by at least four points. The Panthers are, are, are better than I thought. They're, I got to watch them last week. and Absolutely better than their record. And the Falcons seem to be about as good as their record at two and two, which has got to be surprising. That that division, two and three, right? Are they two or and two and three? Yeah, yeah, two and three. Um, that Saints di- might run away with that division. They might, yeah. And it looked like a division that was the best in football or near the best, and it still might be near the best. But the Falcons might be the worst team in it. Yeah, I don't. That could be. Uh, my bold prediction. You know, I said last week I was going to take a different approach, and when it comes to betting, I heard the golden rule is if you're going to take a road underdog, only take them if you think that they could win the game outright. And I found one I like this week, and it's the Browns over the Raiders. The Raiders are six-point favorites at home. I just think that the Raiders played one of those games last week where the emotion was so high that there's no way to come back with that same intensity this week. The Browns had a bye week. They're going to be healthy. They've had a week to prepare for this game. Uh, the travel from right coast or from right coast to left coast is diminished a little bit because of that bye week. Uh, the Raiders were in Houston, so they got to go back home. I'm going to take the Browns to beat the Raiders. It's a four o'clock game, obviously regional on CBS. I just think I, I think the Browns have a chance to win that outright. So I'm not going to take any points or anything like that. I'm just going to say that the Browns will beat the Raiders on Sunday. All right. Sounds good. All right. So that's going to do it for this week. Episode number 46 of the Sportscasters. Again, I want to thank Matt Crossman, Nick Bakai, and Greg Easterbrook. want to remind you to check out our website, www.sports-casters.com, and encourage you to join us again next week for episode number 47. we got some big stuff planned. Tony Saragusa could be in the mix in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I saw you tweeting with him. Mike Tirico could be in the mix the next couple of weeks, mm. probably episode number 50. Um, we're going to have some hoppy, hockey guests to continue our hockey preview. Lots of stuff coming up. We'll still see what we settle with next week. But uh, we will see you then. Don Q the hip. Go Sabres.
Yeah. All right.